This is James Shanes, and you're listening to the Grassroot Banter Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Grassroot Banter Podcast, episode number four. My name's Gareth Bemister, your host and your guide through the trials, the tribulations, and the triumphs and travesties of the wonderful world of grass track racing. Thank you for joining us for this, our fourth episode. We've got lots and lots of news, banter and chat coming up, including a very special interview with our reigning British Masters champion and former multi-European champion, James Shanes. That's coming up later. But joining me as always, first of all, it's our former Isle of Wight warrior and British number three, Ben Ilsley. Good evening, Benjamin. Hey, Gareth. How you doing? Very good, mate. Very good. Took a delivery Dude. of uh, brand new Kevlar's this week then, mate. Looking very smart. <laughs> yeah. I outgrew my old set, so it was time for uh, yeah, a bit of new livery. Yeah, probably about time you grew up, to be fair. And uh, joining me and Ben once again is our resident beast from the East, from the honesty department, it's Russell Little. Hello, Russell. Good evening, Gareth. How are Very you? Very good, mate. What have you been up to? Uh, not a lot. Bit of running, trying to lose a bit of weight and uh, mainly working. Yeah, a bit of the... Uh... The Adam Hawkers coming up, I think, next season. <laughs> We've seen what uh, lo- weight loss did for him, so yeah, who knows? And uh, last up, our poster producing guru. It's getting a bit long-winded saying that every week, to be honest. I think I'll just abbreviate it to our PPG. So it's our PPG and Mr. Fictualist and now Mr. Sidecar Speedway as well. It's Luke Russell. Hello, Luke. Yeah, hello, Gareth. Hello, all. Uh, yeah, looking forward to episode number four. Yeah, you had a bit of taste of the old Sidecar Speedway last week. Uh, I did indeed. I, I had a go on the back of Simon Beanie at iWade and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, warming up my, uh, oh, I've probably warmed up the seat for you, I guess, after riding with him for so many years. But uh, enjoyed it? Yeah, uh, very much so. I think we're planning on doing another practice uh, next weekend. So, yeah, looking forward yeah, to it. Brilliant. Well, all the best for that, Luke. And obviously, we'll be keeping a good eye on you uh, on the back of Simon. But, boys, it's been another busy fortnight of preparation and planning and procrastinating in the grass track world. And we can't wait to start breaking down some of the wheelings and dealings that, have been, that we've been aware of. You can, of course, be part of the show if you're aware of any news, views or reviews within the world of grass track. We welcome your input and your views. So be sure to get in touch with us either on Facebook at our Grass Track Banter Facebook group or on Twitter. We can be found at Grass Track B. The show's also got an email address, grasstrackbanterpodcast at outlook.com. And we've had a few emails coming in last few weeks. Uh, again, all the response to our latest episodes has just been brilliant. It's uh, long may it continue. We get around 600 listens now per episode, which is amazing, really. I don't think we ever thought it would uh, take off like that. So thank you very much. We'll endeavour to keep you as entertained as we can. But of course, what we really want to do is raise the profile of our beloved sport. So give us all plenty to talk about and it will keep keep the momentum rolling for the grass track racing uh, for years to come, we hope. So if you do want to get in touch, please do. Uh, in fact, there was one email sent to us this week by someone whom uh, we all know uh, that caught our eye. The sender wanted to remain anonymous, but they picked up on a few points from our previous episode. We talked in the past, boys, about the Inters mostly now using the single-cylinder 250 engines or four-stroke engines. Um, Our listener wants to know what you think about allowing Inters to run two-stroke 250s in a hope of resurrecting the two-strokes in the adult class. Now, I know that uh, Russell and Ben, you were the champions for the two-stroke class, so... Russ, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with what the uh, what the senders wrote. To be honest, in light of changing the rules uh, for the intermediates, um, the AC have actually changed the rules this winter uh, for the British Motocross Series. Um, you can now ride a 252 stroke um, with the 254 strokes in the MX2 class, 
Um, they've obviously recognised that there's been a big power change in the four strokes over the years with the development side of the engines, etc. So, yeah, certainly uh, agree with what the senders wrote as uh, for the youth being able to uh, run the 252 strokes, I think, in the intermediate class. Not sure if it would have such a positive effect on the adult class. Obviously, there's a lot of 250 motors uh, still out there. We've not seen Lee Streets or Paul Simmons' old bikes for a few years again now. Um, so there's a lot of two-strokes just sitting in sheds somewhere. Uh, we just need to get people out riding them. I, I think, yeah, I totally agree, Russ, but I think I think the rules are already there written that a 252 stroke can be used in the intermediates. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I haven't no, seen the wrong. latest no, updates. So. You can only ride a 152 stroke. Oh, ah, right. Okay. I stand I stand corrected. I had, I had a quick look at the 2020 handbook earlier. But, yeah, certainly, like I say, the ACU have changed the rules in motocross uh, this year for the MX2 class. So there's definitely a case there, I think, for grass track as well. It's sure it's not a typo in the handbook, and it's meant to be a two, not a one. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, I really hope not, because uh, obviously our listener has um, got in touch with us off the back of that rule. Um, talked about uprights as well, our, this uh, particular listener, because there was a conversation on grass track banter a few uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, about upright engines, and I happened to mention Neville Tatum riding in the upright championships uh, several years ago, and he had a brand new GM upright. Uh, but the rules state, I think, that it's got to be a pre-1990 engine, or or certainly a configuration for a pre-1990 engine. Um, I, I don't really, to be honest, boys, you know what I'm like with uh, mechanicals. I don't take a lot of notice as what's in the bikes, but most of the engines are sort of fairly sort of 80s, 90s, aren't they, for the upright? Well externally maybe yeah who who knows <laughs> we'd have to get an engine tuner on wouldn't we yeah maybe we'll have to uh, outsource one and see if anybody's listening that can get in touch and give us a bit more info on the upright class because i know that this listener who emailed in um is a little bit confused by it and i know that on grass track banter we've seen a confusing conversation as well but uh speaking of uprights we also heard from nigel coates who we uh who's an upright rider and we mentioned nigel had an, a bad accident last year was back on a bike by the end of the season but we, he's pleased to report that he's fully recovered and he's looking forward to 2020 so that's good news isn't it boys yeah it's good news yeah i've seen nigel a couple of times at the um uh, pit bikes up at iWade and i know he uh, he does listen in as well so um yeah, it's good to see him up and about and uh, contest i'm not sure if he's riding this weekend but yeah he has been up there um, on his pit bike doing the business yeah, we, uh, we wish nigel all the best for 2020 he's a rider that does an awful lot of racing up and down the country also barry powell uh, we mentioned last week, 350 rider, he got in contact with us to say that he's on the mend, but we mentioned his injury. I don't know if we mentioned his injury, but he actually broke his femur last year. Uh, but he says it's getting stronger every day, so hopefully we might see Barry back out in 2020, and that really would be good, Russell, because he's a quality rider, isn't he? Absolutely. He's always near the front, uh, Barry, so, yeah, hopefully we do see him back. Um, I think it'd be sadly missed if we if we didn't see him this year, so... Yeah, speedy recovery to Barry and uh, hopefully see you about in uh, 2020. Yeah, and uh, not such good news, though, for another injured rider who we mentioned last week. Uh, Super Dave, Dave Mears, so it seems, still not quite back to full racing recovery. Uh, we really do hope he's back on the bike sometime in the future, but uh, he's gone back to work recently after a long layoff. I mean, that accident happened sort of, uh, well, way back when. July. Yeah, July, and he's only just gone back to work, so... Uh, good news for Dave to be back at work, and we do wish him all the best. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a long road recovery, but glad to see that Dave's managed to get back to work, gets back to some normality, and get some money coming yeah. in. Um, but yeah, we hope he makes a full recovery, and really like to see him back on a bike if um, yeah, if injuries allow. And I think that is the plan. So 
yeah, hopefully not the end of Super Dave. No, hopefully not. Best wishes to Dave and to Barry and to Nigel and, and anyone else who's uh, suffered a bit of injuries uh, over 2019. Um, let's hope that we don't see any more of that. But, of course, at the moment, chaps, we're all looking forward to the 22nd of February. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Band for Awards at the uh, Crowborough Community Centre in Sussex. And there is limited tickets available. We've had a fantastic response. Um, and even, even as we're recording this, I've got people messaging asking for tickets. So... Yeah, it's going to be a, a fantastic night. Yeah, really, really pleased now with the uh, with the uptake of the tickets. I think to start with, you just never know with this sort of thing, particularly planning before Christmas. But now we've got going, it's it's definitely captured the attention of the grassroots world, I suppose we could say. And I think Ben, most of the trophies are now spoken for, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. We've had a great response. I'm really grateful to all the the individuals, businesses, riders, um, photographers, everyone involved with the sport that have come forward to help out with with the uh, the cost of awards um several clubs to come forward as well to help us and yeah really really pleased with um with the response and grateful to re- to the support of everyone yeah really grateful it's been good to see people get involved and obviously we are a bit of a family the grass track folk so it's nice to see all of us pitching in and doing our bit and hopefully we can we can acknowledge some of those riders that have entertained us throughout the uh, 2019 season and have a really good night at the same time and have a few drinks as well and delivery of a bit of merch this week luke yeah i want to do a bit of a shout out to uh custom clothing by impress promotions uh we got hold of uh, paul morphy at the company inquired about some polo shirts with the grass track banter logo on and he uh sorted out some fantastic merchandise for us so we just want to say uh thanks to paul and all those uh, uh impress promotions you can find him uh, on his website or or via facebook yeah i know it's uh, it's something that lots of people are often after in grass track is to look the part and some merchandise or some team wear for your particular team so definitely paul morphy's the man to get hold of at custom clothing by impress promotions we're really impressed with what paul's come up with for us uh, we'll be wearing those soon with pride with our grass track banter logo on um, not sure if you'd ever want to look uh, dressed like us, but if we can, uh, if we can interest you in any of our merchandise for Grass Track Banter in the future, then I think we're planning to try and get some made for you as well. If if you want to dress like Russell, Ben, Luke, or myself, I don't know why you would want to, but we might be able to get some merch to you. Not sure if we want to dress like Luke, looking at some of your shirts this week, Luke. You're just jealous, Gareth. Just jealous. <laughs> right, boys, it's time for the news. First up this week on the news, we've got a little bit more on the news that broke just as we were recording episode three, and that was that Ledbury have planned to run an end-of-season event. Uh, it's called the Halloween Spooktacular. Obviously, we uh, all have high hopes of an end-of-season finale that our sport has been, uh, well, seriously missing since the Ace of Aces and the Bonfire Burn-Up days. And having spoken to Sally Palmer, the secretary of the Ledbury Club, she's told me that they're having an AGM this week. In fact, uh, tomorrow or Wednesday, I think it is, and all the plans for that event and all of their other events will be a little bit clearer afterwards. So keep listening for episode five and find out more about the Halloween Spooktacular. Ben, what are your hopes of that event, though? I think sort of going on the the theme of the end-of-season meetings of the past, it, it's really got to be a restricted event in terms of classes. So I think like the sidecar, 1,000cc sidecars, 500 solos, obviously that time of year, um, the light is against any club. So, yeah, it would be really good to have the, the two premier classes involved in that meeting it, it would be great to get some good good names there i mean james shane's mentioned on his interview our listeners are about to hear that he, he really enjoys the lebby track so it would be great to see james there and zach and all the country's other top riders yeah i think it would be fantastic i mean the only problem i can think of that though is that obviously ledbury always support 
all the other classes i know that obviously the british championships is there this year the end of uh, the beginning of the year meeting always has all the classes and that's been a problem in the past where everybody's almost felt that they should be at every meeting yeah i think so but i mean there's three other events that most club riders can ride at um if you're lucky enough to, to compete in the uh the british national championship being held um so i can't see people being too disappointed there's still three opportunities to ride uh the club are running two club meetings as well like you just mentioned ben the, and the british championships as well and now this meeting so uh well frittenden run three meetings a year usually how hard is it that Luke to run so many meetings and sort of what are the challenges to having several meetings in a season? I don't think there's too much. I mean, it probably sounds harder than it than actually. Um, I think if you've got a good team, um, which we know that that Lebri have, they've got a fantastic base uh, from you know Sally as secretary right through the team. They've got a lot of hardworking people. So I think if you've got a good core of volunteers. Um, it's not not quite so bad, I don't think. And you know they've run free meetings for the last few years. I'm not sure if they've run run for themselves before, but you know, it's not really too difficult if you've got the right team of people um, all pulling pulling the same way. Yeah, and I think um, just thinking now to what sort of Ben said about having the restricted the restricted classes. I know Russell last week when we talked about this, you mentioned um, one of the things you said is I'm not sure what classes they're running. Uh, obviously, on one side we could have a, a huge meeting with 250s, 350s, 500 solos, uprights, pre 75s, everything else that's going, a load of sidecar classes. Um, or we could have a bit more like the Aces and the Burn-Up and have the two premier classes, all the best riders in the country or perhaps even all the best riders in the world. We don't really know what Lebri are planning or uh, whether it'll just be an extra club meeting. Um, but sort of what would what would you prefer, Russell, if you were sort of planning something like that? Well, I said the other week, obviously, um, you know, it's always nice to ride at Lebri and that, but just listening to what Ben was saying just then um, got me thinking, actually. And... Uh, yeah, it would be nice to see another uh, another like prestigious meeting, I guess. You know, the top 18 or 24 right-hand sidecars, obviously 20, 24 solos, maybe even the 500 sidecars. At that time of the year, obviously, there's not so much racing in Europe and that, so I'm sure we get Josh and Mitch and a few others there. Um, so maybe, maybe yeah, just go go back to the aces and the burn-up, just the two or three top top international classes, so to speak, but make a real sort of event of it rather than, as you say, have lots of classes and the meeting just sort of um, bimble through. Yeah, I mean, we'll wait and see, really. Obviously, we'll wait for the news from Lebby HQ from Wednesday's meeting, and I'm sure Sally will get in touch with me, and uh, we'll be able to report in Episode 5 what's being planned for that meeting. We might be getting excited, and they're just running a club meeting. I don't want to put any any sort of pressure on the Lebby Club, but we really do need something at the end of the season, don't we? We do, yeah. We were looking at the fixtures uh, yesterday or, or, or Saturday, wasn't we? We were just saying it's not not really that many big big meetings anymore the fixture list is looking a bit sparse at the moment yeah it's for big meetings i mean this seems to have sort of faded off the last few years i know that uh frittenden we always consider that frittenden are running big meetings luke with the battle of britain uh and the uh summer spectacular and then of course the the frittenden flyer we think of them as big meetings but really they're open to anyone aren't they then they're not sort of big nationals like we would have seen the Barks Bonanza and all of the big Ace of Aces bonfire burn-ups of years gone by. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we just tried to run three very good meetings. Um, obviously, I know we in the past we've done like the Masters, Masters qualifier, but yeah, all three of our meetings are open to all. We just, we get lucky that, you know, we've got a very good track and a lot of riders like to come and ride at it. So um, yeah, and uh, hopefully that'll be the same this year as well. Yeah. And obviously with the Youth Championships uh, in May as well. Yeah, well, hopefully there'll be some uh, some big meetings and some good news coming from Ledbury because 
Uh, we seriously need a few more big meetings. I know that there's some serious challenges involved in running a big meeting, but we wish Ledbury all the best, and in episode five, we'll bring you all the latest from the club. But our next bit of news is a slight sideways move from Grass Track, controversially. I want to talk about Sidecar Speedway a little bit, gents. Um, the last few years, it's made something of a comeback. Yeah, it has, and um, it's been a welcome comeback. It's been good to see, and it's got the attention of a lot of the riders investing in equipment. It's, yeah, as I said, it's been a welcome return. It's been some good, yeah, good stadiums involved in that. I mean, taking the sidecars and the sport to the National Speedway Stadium in Manchester is, is great, and equally last year, it it was good to see the sidecars back on the Isle of Wight. Yeah, definitely, it was really good, really good meeting at the Isle of Wight, and. Uh, obviously now I've I've been lucky enough to ride and I do feel privileged to ride at, at the, the Manchester the Bellevue track and it's just unbelievable. Um, so the, yeah the sport the sport has sort of had a bit of a, a comeback. Obviously some of us will remember the uh, Super Cup years when Paul Miller was running it, Ben, and I know that you were around for that as well. That was absolutely brilliant. It was a fantastic series, wasn't it? And having the UK's top competitors as well as the world's best, I think there's sort of half a dozen international crews came over for it as well. And it was it was just brilliant. And it was great to, to attend. I mean, it captured the imagination of the fans, didn't it? And it got, it was a bit of a brand, really, a series that spectators followed all, all up and down the country. Yeah, and it was really sort of professionally run which i think acu events are trying to emulate now as well it actually it was the same year as the foot and mouth crisis and a lot of people say that if it hadn't been for the foot and mouth crisis perhaps that first super cup wouldn't have been quite as successful but i'm not sure i agree with that the racing i remember the racing was unbelievable in that first well the first two years really yeah it was uh, one meeting that stands out was at paul speedway and that wasn't just for the four year four year olds only girls (laughs) um there was some there was some brilliant racing They've, uh, they've still got the pictures of the rostrum up in the uh, For Your Eyes Only foyer, so I'm told. I'm going to say you're talking <laughs> from experience there. <laughs> yeah, somebody told me that. Pervy Dave told me that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... But yeah, it's uh, it's on Sidecar Speedway, when it's good, it is brilliant. I mean, when I was... Uh, when, when During the Super Cup years, obviously you had the Super Cup rounds. You had those four rounds or five rounds or whatever it was. You had the British Championship, which was a standalone meeting. Um, and then you had a couple of other open meetings, but then you had a whole load of other events as well. I mean, I can remember riding a Friday night at Kings Lynn, then Saturday night I rode at, or Saturday day rode at Workington, then I did a grass track on the Sunday, and Monday I was at Reading. Um, I just can't imagine Sidecar Speedway being like that ever again. I think it, what comes in, what it comes down to is time, yeah. isn't it? People seem to be busier and busier at work these days. Um, employers want as much out of their employees as they can, don't they? So yeah, I guess. For people who are fortunate enough to run their own businesses, there's a bit more flexibility with time and business commitments permitting. But, yeah, it, it's tough, I think. Um, speed raids is typically midweek, isn't it? And I think that's probably one of the biggest biggest challenges is is getting time off to ride in these events. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, obviously, um, so far in 2020, there's only been two events announced. I know that Tracy Cosser is working really hard to try and sort of get promoters to pull themselves together a little bit and announce some fixtures so that the sidecar speedway boys know where they're racing but at the moment uh two events announced both at somerset both on friday nights and that's a bit of a challenge luke isn't it uh it certainly is um i mean a lot of people work fridays i, I mean all the all the rounds last year they're on a friday i couldn't do because of work commitments yeah it's it, down to the tracks obviously they're going to put you know sort of like their actual league racing before 
before the cycles, which is uh, you know which is what they've got to do. So hopefully there are more rounds come in that are on a Saturday to make it easier for those that you know can't attend on the Fridays. Yeah, hopefully I know Tracy, you know, obviously looks for Saturday dates before she looks for anything. I know that uh, Somerset always run on a Friday, so there's sort of a non-negotiable there. But we managed to get the Isle of Wight on a Saturday, Ben, and uh, they don't usually run on a Saturday, I don't think, do they? Uh, no, they don't. I think there's one or two dates in the calendar that they they have permission to run at a weekend, but typically they run on a Thursday night. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was great to have a have a Saturday event there. Um, and I think that really kind of it, it is the reason why why we're not seeing more on a weekend is just those, those planning restrictions from, from local councils when these events can be run. Yeah. And uh, it's never really sort of captured the audience of the, the mainstream speedway. I mean, you get the odd one or two that go and have a look at the sidecar speedway and enjoy it. But for some reason, Ben, the sort of week in, week out speedway fan doesn't seem to be that interested in the sidecars. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why. Um, I'm not sure what the, I, I didn't attend the event on the Isle of Wight last year. I'm not sure what the crowd levels were like. And I, I don't really know what the crowd levels were like at any of the rounds. I didn't. Didn't, must admit, I didn't manage to get to any of them. I, d- I don't know. It's an it's an unusual one. I think uh, as much as we're positive with the amount of people that do go, I think that all of us would like to see a few more people in the stadium. So, yeah, we just keep trying to sort of promote it. And Tracy's doing our best, obviously, um, in pushing the sport forward. But it's a real challenge to try and get promoters to agree so early to the events, unfortunately. And every year there's more and more riders, which is good. But at the moment, they don't know where they're riding. But yeah, there's a few new riders again this year. Last year, there was a few that threatened to come out. And then eventually it turned out that it was fairly easy to get a ride on the Sidecar Speedway. But I don't think it'd be that easy this year. I know that we've talked about him before, Anthony Sales. He's planning a season on the Speedway and he's had a buzz around Rye House. And Tom Marvell's got a beautiful looking Speedway outfit. Um, So there's a few riders that are about that we'd quite like to see how they're going to get on in the speedway yeah i know i think anthony sales has been at rye house five or six times i think so far across the winter and he's been putting videos up and he's looking quite quick and obviously there is i suppose going back to your earlier point on the 7th and 8th of march you've got Sarkar speedway riding at king's inn as part of the dirt dirt bike show and they've got essentially like a british championship lineup as well so hopefully if if they get a big crowd there looking at all the different uh, stalls and events they might drag more people to the the actual sidecar speedway championship rounds when the this series gets underway yeah i hope so because uh, obviously i'm a bit biased but i think sidecar speedway when it's good i mean if you've got four outfits on the line it's absolutely magic and uh yeah 7th and 8th of march will be the first sort of time that sidecar speedways uh, takes place uh, a race meeting takes place and the lineup filled up very quickly i was very surprised i mean they, they seem to have 12 outfits instantly plus two reserves so um, yeah, really good. Hopefully that momentum continues and people will be fighting to get places in meetings. But uh, the Speedway Club still, Russ, they still don't appear to be too bothered about having the sidecars at their tracks. No, it's it's a common theme, isn't it, unfortunately, across the country. I guess they have to save a lot of their dates, obviously, for rain-offs. And then, obviously, stadiums also have other uses as well. Obviously, I think Paul obviously still run Greyhounds. Obviously, Eastbourne, for instance, are a big banger racing track. So, yes, I suppose, and like Ben says as well, obviously councils have, have got restrictions on tracks, etc. So I guess it's a struggle to sort of fit everything in. And also, like you're saying, um, it's a struggle to get them to commit early in the season. I guess that's probably why they try to save their dates 
in case of the rain offs and stuff like that, obviously they need to be able to get riders. If they've got riders from outside the country back over, etc., um, which obviously isn't a short short term fix, so to speak. So no, it's a shame. You know, we always say that the sidecars bring the spectators the grass track, but um, it doesn't seem to happen that way on the speedway for some reason. No, different sport altogether, I think. But uh, we hope for another great sidecar speedway season, and hopefully we'll be able to announce more rounds in the future. At the moment, though, it's Friday the 24th of July and Friday the 18th of September. So get those in your diary. Those both happening at Somerset Speedway, Oak Tree Arena um, in Highbridge. That's in Somerset and they're sure to be brilliant meetings. One of them's a British Championship round. Uh, the other one is uh, an open meeting, I believe. Um, but yeah, we've obviously Manchester. I know that Mark Lemon at Manchester is keen to have sidecars again. They ran the Manchester Masters in October and they want, they want to do something similar. Leicester have been really good supporters of the sidecars the last few years, and it's a great track for sidecar racing with the tight corners. Uh, Swindon's been mentioned as well, so a few tracks coming on board, and then there's loads of tracks that I'm sure we'd love to see. I'd love to see sidecars back at Paul. Plymouth would be great because it's on my doorstep. I could cycle to the track. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to see one at Kent as well. I think has anyone been to Kent? track i don't know if it would uh, be any good for sidecars yeah it's quite tight i'm not sure i'm not sure how they'd fare getting around there can't be as tight as plymouth no that's true i mean it is a bit it's a I bit think... hairy at plymouth but <laughs> how's the center green there gareth yeah it's a big hole in it i found it well i didn't find it actually <laughs> to be fair i've got phil sims to blame for that i was i was just sat on the back minding my own business on the parade lap <laughs> <laughs> cornish monkey cornish monkey yeah. yeah, Kings Lynn, obviously, we'll see sidecars there on the 7th and 8th of March as well. So Kings Lynn are big supporters of sidecars and, again, another good track for, for sidecars. And I was on the phone to Andy Driver, actually, in the week, and he told me that Ipswich has been widened since sidecars were last there, so that would be good. Tracy's floated the idea of Glasgow and Berwick in the past, which is like another time zone from where I am. Yeah, I mean, great. I don't know about Berwick, but looking at Glasgow, they're obviously very active with their social media and marketing and track looks and the stadium looks out outstanding there so wouldn't be a bad move um but obviously the journey and distance traveling might might put a few off i'm sure i read um in the spirit style the other week that um beric are widening their track or widening the corners this winter oh they've probably heard the sidecars are coming oh well, there you go then more good work from tracy she's got them to build a new track for us perfect <laughs> i think i think um i think that'd be really good around glasgow though the solos are spectacular around there. Yeah, well, hopefully. I mean, it's a long way, but I think uh, if we could get enough riders to go, commit to going all the way up there, I think it'd be a fantastic meeting. And again, it's another opportunity for more people through the gate and more bums on seats. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye on the Sidecar Speedway, but Friday the 24th of July, Friday the 18th of September, definite dates to put in your diary, along with the 7th and 8th of March at Kings Lynn. Next up is a bit of European news, Russell. Hey. The, British riders, the British riders eligible for the European solo semis has been announced. We more or less knew who they were anyway, but uh, James Shanes, who uh, we'll be listening to later on, Zach Vashnek, Paul Hurry, Paul Cooper, Tom Perry and Edward Kennett, all invited to race at either Bielefeld or Tyak for the European semi-final. So, Russell, there must be potential champions there. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Obviously, uh, the first team mentioned, obviously, are have been European champions in very recent times. Um, obviously, Paul got on the rostrum as well. Uh, Mr. Cooper's always there and thereabouts, isn't he? Ed obviously got on the rostrum at uh, Hurtigan with uh, James and Andrew Appleton, I believe. And obviously, yeah, Tom as well. Tom can mix it, certainly, abroad. So, yeah, you wouldn't rule any of them out, really, would you, on the day? Not at all. And uh, the other one, of course, that's qualified is James Wright. But 
Um, he's got speedway commitments this year, Ben, that's causing us a bit of concern that he'll be available for the European. Yeah, I'm not sure what dates um, he's going to be uh, be riding in the European uh, semi, but Newcastle do most of their fixes on a Sunday. So it is going to impact what he can do this year on the grass and long track, which is a shame. We've really, really enjoyed watching him over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And the final place was offered to Tony Atkin, um, who obviously returned last year and made it to eighth in the Masters, but he's turned it down. But the next in line for that has been uh, chosen as Stephen Green, who was ninth in the Masters. So I know that you're really pleased, Russ, with that. Yeah, I think um, I think personally it's the way it should be. You've, uh, you've earned your right to be there. Um, he's next in line. So for me, he's got every right to uh, take the next spot. And uh, Stephen, of course, last year, I think it was last year, had a go in the semi-final he's not really done a lot of European but certainly didn't disgrace himself so it's nice to see a, a club rider well yeah I guess he is a club rider uh, racing at that level yeah yeah he's had a, he had a bit of a dabble last year didn't he abroad like I say certainly didn't disgrace himself let's be honest he's no slouch is he Steve he can always mix it amongst the best here in the UK I guess he'll probably end up at Tyak though this this year unless anyone pulls a surprise uh, I'm not sure how that will suit him but uh, I dare say he'll go and give it a good go, yeah, though. absolutely. And who knows? He might pull off a surprise. But uh, the reserve for the semi-finals, should uh, one of those eight that we've mentioned don't take their place, is Chris Harris. Uh, obviously, he's got that position from uh, previous performances. So another high-quality rider, Luke. Yeah, he is. Uh, I mean, I haven't really seen too much of him on the grass. But, yeah, he's um, when he's in the lineup, you know he's, he should be there or thereabouts, especially uh, when riding in Europe. Yeah, and also, of course, it'd be really good to see him make it through the semi-final. I mean, he's only reserve at the moment, but make it through the semi-final and then be in action at Midshires. And he's been based, of course, in Coventry for so long, so it'd almost be like a home round for him. Yeah, um, a massive draw, I think, for the crowd. It's going to pull, certainly pull a few few punters in, especially from the speedway world and his connections with Coventry in the past. Yeah, and the European semi-final placings are chosen, as I mentioned, based on the British Masters results. And Ben, you were part of the British Masters uh, last year and you've been part of a few British Masters qualifiers so it must be good to to know that anyone can has got the opportunity really to be in that European Championship. Yeah and I think that's exactly the way it should be. The rules are there for everyone to see and yeah if if you get the result of the Masters they should be merited with um, a, a, an opportunity to progress into Europe and yeah I think it's going down the list is exactly the right way to do it. Yeah and of course it's of particular significance this year because the finals at Midshire's on August the 16th. Uh, it'd be brilliant to see all eight of our Brits getting into the final. Um, and also, if some of the other nations can't field their full complement of riders, I think Bomber could get into a semi-final that way as well. So, um, only he'll struggle to do Tyak round, I think, Russ, wouldn't he? Obviously, yeah, if he goes to... Uh, if he if he does get last choice and end up going to uh, Tyak, obviously, that could present its own problems with it obviously being the night before the uh, World Long Track round yeah. in uh, Moldorf. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that date clash might decide where a few of them go, I think. But uh, where do you think it'll be best? Date clashes aside, where do you think it'll go? If I fire each of them at you, Russ, you tell me if, whether you think they should go to Tyak or Bielefeld. So, James Shanes, first of all. Bielefeld. Yeah, I think that's an obvious one. Uh, Zach? Not sure, Zach. I'm going to say Bielefeld. Paul Hurry? Bielefeld. Uh, Ed Kennett? Tyak. Okay, Tom Perry? Mm, Tyak. Coops. Bielefield. Yeah. Uh, who have we got left? James Wright. Uh, yeah, Tyak. And of course, Stevie Green. Uh, I don't think poor Stevie's going to have any choice. If he did, I think he'd certainly go to Bielefield. But 
I think Steve is going to be going to the south of France. <laughs> well, it's worst places to be. Yeah, absolutely. Best of luck to our British riders <laughs> for the European semi-finals next year. But one thing we've mentioned a few times is that we would love to see the superstars of our sport more regularly on the grass in this country. What do you think needs to be done to encourage more of these sort of professional riders to race in Britain? It's a tough one. Um, I mean, the sport isn't like flush with money. I know, I know obviously in Europe you get you know, sort of entry entries paid, uh, you get like travel expenses and that sort of thing. So it's it's a it's a tricky one, especially uh, in England. Um, I think uh, I mean we've seen plenty of sort of professionals ride over here. I mean at, at Wimborne last year we had uh, Trezario come over. Uh, we had what well, Kenneth Hansen was here, um, and then obviously we've seen the likes of Cameron Woodward also ride as well, and obviously he went on to win uh, British Masters. So it's a it's a tricky one. I mean it is good when you have the top names. Uh, turn up they definitely bring uh, more spectators through the gate but no it's a tricky one on how you get them through without almost like a bottomless pit of money I suppose definitely I think one of the things as well I mean there is money but um, I suppose Ben is probably the best one to sort of speak to here I guess but uh, one of the things that I know that lots of the overseas riders don't come for is because they're not too keen on the tracks. Yeah, I don't, I don't know really. It's going to be different, isn't it, from what they're used to at home. But, I mean, we, we've mentioned Kenneth Hansen. We've mentioned Matt Terrazaria. They they've been in this country before. They've adapted to the track and they know how to ride them. But I guess for the, some of these newer European prospects that have, are popping up all over the place, it is daunting with the stakes rather than a, an air fence or a... Um, yeah, a border track. Yeah, guess so. And again, comes back to money. Yeah, it does. Um, I think ultimately, if every rider's got a price, and if you wave enough money under their nose, they're going to be there riding, aren't they? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I would as well, I suppose. It, 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 my, my, the top, the top, the top sixteen in the in the world or Europe, they ride professionally. Yeah. And they they do it for one reason, and that's to earn money. They're doing something they love, riding their bikes. It comes hand in hand, doesn't it? And Unfortunately, we just don't have the resources to to trap that type of rider on well regularly. I mean, one-off Wimborne it costs them a lot of money, I know, but great to see them. So you can you can see the attraction to clubs like Midshires to run a European semi. I know there's a lot there's a a dedicated prize fund that's structured, but you're guaranteeing some of the best riders in the world. I was just going to mention about Lespinazzi. Didn't he win the um? Didn't he win a a semi-final in Cornwall yeah, so they can do it can't they yeah definitely yeah I mean he rode really well at that meeting uh, and the track was tricky I mean it was gri- really grippy that day down in Cornwall but yeah he showed that he can ride it they can ride it they can ride grass tracks but um, or British grass tracks I should say so yeah hopefully we'll see a few more international riders over here and racing some of our meetings I think we just like we've said earlier on we need some more big meetings and that will attract them over last up is the announcement of a few more awards available at the grass track banter awards uh, taking place in Crowborough, of course, on the 22nd of February. And in episode three, we announced all the winners of the Most Improved and the Rider of the Year awards in all the classes, 13 classes altogether. And this week, we've got a few more awards to announce and some that we're very proud to announce as well, beginning with the meeting of the year. And our meeting of the year was GTSA's fabulous hosting of the British Masters. Really great meeting, wasn't it, Ben? Yeah, can't disagree with that. Worthy winners, brilliant event. Um, everything ran to clockwork. Superb venue, good track, great presentation. Just little touches that made the day memorable and probably the best meeting I've been to in this country for some time. Yeah, absolutely. I think I completely agree with that. It was a really good meeting. Lots of little touches, you know. Our mate Sully was doing a great job with making sure that it felt like a big meeting. The track was good. Um, yeah, 
just we need more more meetings like that. I know that uh, GTSA are running two meetings next year, so we'll wait and see what they come up with next year. But our fabulous GTSA club are our meeting of the year winners. And the next one is the track of the year. And the winner of the track of the year was uh, 500cc Sidecar Association. Their circuit at Chelmsford uh, in Rittle in Chelmsford has produced some brilliant racing over the last few years. But two brilliant British Championship meetings. I know that the last one ended uh, with a bit of controversy. But, Russell, both of those meetings at Chelmsford have been absolutely brilliant for on-track action. Uh, yes, Gareth, as you say, the, uh, the track there at uh, Rittle that they've acquired in the last few years produces some brilliant racing. Quite a hard surface as well, so it doesn't dig out too much. Um, it does obviously go slicker and towards the end of the day, but, uh, yeah, the Brits, uh, the last two years have been, uh, been a pleasure to ride in, to be honest, as far as the track goes. And, uh, something I sort of need to bring up at this point that I know that it's more difficult for me to talk about than you two is, uh, is the fact that the, both of those meetings that we're talking about didn't have any 1,000cc sidecars. Yeah. Uh, they bring the crowd, though, don't they? As everyone says, they bring the crowd. If, if they don't have them, they don't get a crowd. So They do bring the crowd, but, I mean, Ben, I know that you've mentioned this in the past, and we, you know, I know, I know that you enjoy watching the 1,000 sidecars, but do they really impact the track that much? I think in modern times, or recent times, definitely. I think the machines are getting more and more powerful, and the guys riding them are riding harder and harder and the way they come into the corner and twist the throttle on it's just i think that power is just digging the holes in the track so it's certainly noticeable when you ride at an event where there isn't sidecars the track um yeah the, the track does stay in better condition for longer is it just a thousand but, sidecars or is it sidecars in general well i think i no, i think i mean this isn't anything against the sidecars because i think I, I i love watching them they're a great spectacle to watch I think they're, the, the top guys are brilliant for what they do, the money they invest in their machinery with little reward in terms of financial gain. And, yeah, I mean, they, like any other class, they deserve their place on grass track. But it, it does tend to be the modern sidecar outfits that are causing the big holes um, for the solo guys. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's grass track. It's what it is, isn't it? It We you get through the track whatever the condition and all i'm saying is when you go to an event that there isn't a sidecar or a big sidecar class that the track sort of tends to stay in shape for for a longer period of time yeah and i think that the fact that the 500cc sidecar association have won the uh the track of the year for the grass track banter speaks volumes really it hasn't had those big sort of 180 brake horsepower motors digging holes in it all round. uh they did have the left hand sidecars there i guess but not too many of them um perhaps i know that there's been talk in the past of sort of having two different corners luke but yeah there's problems with that as well i would have thought yeah i mean i mean um a couple of years ago the the 500 sidecars didn't they run a, a separate track for the youth they coned off one of the corners to make it shorter so i mean it, it's something you could do but whether they would work with having the sidecars as a separate track it's um you know it sort of remains to be seen and whether it will be trialed or not i, I don't know but um yeah it's Did, a, um Sorry, just I was going to say, didn't Guernsey um, have separate corners for a Sandes? Yes, they did. That yeah. was for a similar reason, I think. The fact that it was the sidecars were digging a hole in the in the sand, I think. I guess, uh, I guess there though, obviously they've got a lot more room to work with, haven't they? As far as obviously they've not got um, ropes and stakes around the outside, or hedges or anything like that. Yeah, they've got sort of an entire beach where they can make the track as big or or small as they want. Yeah, I just re- I just kind of wanted to understand the reason why they had a separate corner. Yeah, um, perhaps. Uh, 
I know I think, Mike listened, so I expect you know, Mike will get in touch and let us know why that decision was made. Yeah, it'd be good to understand. But yeah, like like the guy said, well, bigger boundaries to work in, isn't it? So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations to the 500cc Sidecar Association. Like all of the clubs in uh, in our country and in our sport, you work tirelessly on your venue. And uh, sadly, there was that issue at the British Championships, but nobody can deny that you produced a fantastic racing surface and some superb racing. So I know that we'll talk about 500cc Sidecar Association's 2020 plans later on, but for now, congratulations, our track of the year. And finally, it's our organisers of the year. And, uh, well, it had to be really, given what they've achieved. Double winners, lads, it's GTSA again. They organised a fantastic Masters, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It was... uh... As Ben said earlier, it was a real spectacle from the moment you arrived at the venue. A warm welcome from, obviously, uh, Sue and Lydia. The beer tent on Saturday night was uh, sort of like going back in time, really, to the aces and the burn-up. I know we keep mentioning them, but, you know, that's what it sort of felt like. And, yeah, the racing on the Sunday was, was absolutely excellent, wasn't it? A, a, a good track prepared by a great team down there at GTSA. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So GTSA, not only have they won the meeting of the year, they are the organisers of the year as well. So well done to GTSA. And I know that they'll be there on the 22nd of February to collect their awards. And we've also chosen our Unsung Hero Award. So this is something that we've uh, always endeavoured to award at the Grass Track Banter Awards. And this year for our Unsung Hero Awards, we've chosen a family who have given so much time to the smooth running of grass tracks all over the southeastern centre. So our Unsung Hero Award goes to the Fairhursts. And I know that uh, the Fairhursts have been working the pits at Frittenden for a long time Luke yeah they have I mean generally any sort of GTSA Frittenden Maidstone Aces you'll you'll see them um in the pit box and they 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 turn up and they get on with their their duties without fuss you know without them we would definitely struggle to to run meetings as as smoothly as we do so yeah definitely a well-deserved and um well-earned award for them absolutely I mean our sport is absolutely peppered with unsung heroes but definitely worthy winners dave and irene and bev the fairhursts so congratulations to you we're looking forward to presenting you with that award on the 22nd of feb and our journeyman award uh last time you might remember our journeyman award went to tim grigg who did pretty much every meeting in a season uh, a couple of years ago but this time it's to a rider who's shown exceptional commitment to the sport well this time it's a family actually that's shown exceptional commitment to the sport the rider or the family that we've chosen is channel islanders the junior racer Thomas Vinning and his family. So our journeyman award goes to the Vinning family. And I know that, uh, Ben, you'll be pleased to hear that one. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, again, another worthy award winner. I meant you may have recall me mentioning before. Uh, Nick and his family, that's Thomas's dad, I think they missed one grass track meeting out of out of every fixture that was ran last year, which which is absolutely incredible. The commitment in terms of travel is second to none. They, they fly into... Southampton Airport from Guernsey. Um, it's not a long flight, but it's an expensive one still. Uh, and then obviously we pick up the, the bike this this side of the water, get the bike prepped. I think they got a vehicle over here which they travel in. Um, it's just a lot of dedication, a lot of organisation that goes into that. And yeah, Thomas is reaping the rewards from it because he is really, really improving and someone that is going to be hopefully sticking to the grass and someone that could really be up there in a few years to come yeah, absolutely i mean anyone that comes over from the channel islands every week like like they do deserves all the praise in the world i know that uh, in the thousand cc sidecars of course clint blondell uh, and kev bennett they did lots and yeah. lots of meetings over here last year and they plan to do a lot more sidecar speedway as well and i know that the acu have recognized clint for all of his efforts 
in coming over. It's a real commitment. And to see the Vinning family putting in so much effort to Thomas, and we really do wish him all the success in the future. There's not been a sort of Channel Islander, sort of international standard Channel Islander for many years. So it'd be great to see Thomas if he stays on the green stuff and ends up going into the European Championships one day. It'd be really good to see. Yeah, it will. And yeah, hopefully the main thing is that, that Thomas enjoys his learning um, in the youth He's currently in the junior class. I think he's got good good help and support from, from RTS, Roger Taylor. So he's got some good kit underneath him. And I know they, they travel around with the Derricks. They've got a good um, yeah, good friendship. And I think they enjoy their grass at weekends. And he, he, he's getting quicker and quicker every yeah, week. Absolutely. So Thomas and, your, and Nick and all of the family... Uh, congratulations we're looking forward to seeing you at the grass strap banter awards and giving you a small token of our appreciation for all of the effort you put into the sport now most of our trophies are brand spanking new they're complete with our logo on them we're really proud of them in fact i think they got picked you're ready to pick them up this weekend aren't you luke yeah i'll be picking them up sometime this week be the most trophy most trophies luke's ever had <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely they're lovely looking trophies but we'd also like you to know that uh the 500 cc sidecar trophies were actually donated to us by uh mr mitchell godden so big thanks to mitch for providing us with the trophies for the 500 cc sidecars that's the most improved and the uh the rider of the year so thanks to mitch uh many thanks to all of our trophy sponsors as well and also on the night several acu awards will be given out so we've got loads of awards to give out uh, including the ACU Stars Awards, and that's awarded to the winners of the national gradings lists. Uh, not for all classes, though, just for the 250s, 350s, 500cc solos, the 1,000 sidecars, the 500cc sidecars, and the left-hand sidecars. And we'll be presenting John Hiscock with his very special Bill Smith Award for all of his services to Grass Track. So it's shaping up to be a really special evening for all Grass Track riders, supporters, and organisers. And if you haven't got your tickets yet, it's not too late, is it, Luke? No, not too late. Uh, still got... A few weeks to get your tickets. Um, but yeah, easiest way is drop me a message and I can give you either bank details, PayPal. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just £10 a ticket um, for adults and under 16 is free. So yeah, come along and it's going to be a fantastic evening. Not just awards, you know, we've got all sorts of other bits and pieces going on as well. So no, it's going to be a, a really great Absolutely. night. Absolutely. So we look forward to seeing as many of you out there as possible at the awards on the 22nd of Feb. Once again, a huge thank you to all of you who have bought tickets so far, or if you're intending to in the next couple of weeks. And those of you who have sponsored trophies as well, we're very grateful to you. And we can't wait to give out these awards and have a really good evening at Crobra for the Grassstrap Banter Awards. Now it's time for us to look back on 2019 and reminisce on a brilliant racing season. It's our review section, gents. Now, first of all, the first meeting of uh, July. It's, we're going to look at July this time. And the first meeting of July and the 7th of July was Bridgewater Grass Track. It was their second of the season and uh, an interesting winner of the 250 class. Yeah, uh, Glenn Stanton had a new bike made for that, didn't he? He had a brand new RTS uh, KTM, which he had built by uh, by the Taylors. Didn't expect to see, obviously Glenn's quick, but obviously didn't expect to uh, see him out at the front so early on. Nope. And uh, 500 solos won by Aaron Butcher and Aaron's uh, Bridgewater was a bit of a fortress for Aaron. And uh, rarely gets beaten there. And I know that Ben talked about uh, the conditions of Bridgewater really suiting him. But it is, it's a unique place, Ben, isn't it, Bridgewater, the way that the track lies? Yeah, it's a really good venue. Um, it's obviously the, the field's used for sheep grazing, which is ideal, really, for, for grass track because they're quite light. So you don't get any of the, any of the ripples like you do in a, in a cattle field. Really good venue. The soil's quite unique there, isn't it? And quite heavy grass, which makes it quite slick with the natural dew. But um, 
Yeah, I could ask being technical about yeah, a field. It's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you like it though, Ben. I know that uh, uh, whenever you go there, you really enjoy it because it's so slick and you can throw the thing in sideways. I know that, um, like Simon and I on the thousand, we couldn't get on with it because it was so slick. It was just so hard to try and get any power down on the ground. But on a solo, it looks great fun. Yeah, I think it's just a bit more predictable. I've always liked a slicker circuit rather than a, a drivey or a grippy one. Just yeah, it just rides well. The track flows well. It's a good club. Um, and then sort of by the second or third heat, the track really comes to us and yeah, it, it gets grip a little bit grippier, but it still s- sort of stays slick and smooth and it, it's a great, it's a great venue, a really good venue and the club do great to run a couple of club meetings a year. I'd like to see them perhaps put on a, a bigger event someday. Yeah, they did do the Masters qualifier, um, many years ago. Well, I know it was 2003 and, um, but it got very dusty, and it, it can get dusty there, but it's a superb track. Uh, not too big. It's quite a small, sort of tight track, but, yeah, like you say, it's um really good surface to race on. Uh, but the biggest news of that day, really, from Bridgewater is the date clash, because they were sort of brazen enough. Um, I'm not sure if it was if it was them or, I think, the other club put in their dates after Bridgewater, but the British Championships was on the very same day. Yeah, um, wasn't it a case of no one had put in for the Brits game? It was something like that, yeah. I think that the, the 500cc Sidecar Association eventually came in and and took on the British Championships, but it was quite late, and I think Bridgewater already had the date. Um, and then the British Championships obviously ran against Bridgewater, but uh, both meetings still ran, though, Luke. Yeah, and they seemed to both... Well, they both had a, a top-class lineup. Obviously, it's the Brits, so it generally does, but for Bridgewater as well to have such a good lineup as well um, shows that you can have two good meetings on on the same day yeah we've seen it so many times and of course the uh, youth the youth lineup wasn't affected by the british championships and neither was the thousand cc sidecars so uh, really good youth lineup and max perry won the juniors and caden mundy the cadets and eli meadows won the inters and i think uh, oliver bovingdon and archie rolf battled i think archie was the winner of the autos but kieran hicks and kieran ivy took the win in the thousand sidecars i think one of three wins they had um, in a very good season for for the two Kierans, but obviously most of the action was happening at the British Championships in Chelmsford. And uh, first of all, the racing that day, I mean, I've seen it, I wasn't there, I was watching it on uh, on video, but some of the racing at, at that track, Russell, was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it was uh, conditions are perfect on the day, really. Really, really fast. Um, obviously a well-set-up track by a great team there, obviously, who uh, obviously led by Sean. Yeah, can't speak highly enough, as we say, obviously, just a great day, really. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and I think what was interesting, they sort of partially boarded it, didn't oh, yeah. they? As well. Yeah. Yeah, it's partially boarded, which gave it a, I don't know, another, just like a, a another con- feel. Yeah, like a bit of an arena, wasn't it? It was good. Um, but yeah, you can't take it away from the surface. I, I was, I was competing myself, but unfortunately I had a few mechanical gremlins that put me out of the day early. But in practice, the track was superb. Yeah, and the 250 solos, obviously, Ben, you competed in, and Russell competed in the 250 solos as well and had a pretty decent day. I know, Russ, you were a bit gutted about not making the final this year. Yeah, obviously, 2018, I made the final. Um, come seventh overall, so a bit disappointed just to miss out uh, on the final this year by a couple of points. Um, all my heats seem to uh, have either uh, at least two of the top three, though. So, yeah, tough, but that's the way it goes sometimes. As we all know, with the Brits, you don't meet everyone. Um, you meet some lots and some not at all. So, yeah, just that was it, really. 
couldn't really do a lot no, about that, it. Russell, the racing in the 250s that day was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, obviously, uh, obviously the young guns up the front again. Obviously Henry and Jake, Charlie, Luke, and then you had uh, obviously uh, Neil Taylor, I believe, was was second or third on points actually going into the yep. final. Uh, I was watching the video the other day. Obviously Neil had a mechanical in the mechanical problem in the final, so he pulled out early on. But yeah, the, uh, he built built the bike just for the championships actually i think i remember him telling me and obviously yep david knowles was there again uh taking it to the youngsters should we say uh but yeah the, the top four there if, if we can keep hold of them for for a few more years they're going to be up troubling the top boys in the 500s aren't they Absolutely. for sure i mean luke harris has been around for a few years now he's not i don't think he's fully reached his potential yet i think there's an awful lot more to come from luke but uh henry atkins has had a really you know a couple of goes on the 500 but hasn't really given it his full attention and the same could be said for Charlie Brooks and obviously Jake Mulford's only just just coming of age but yeah I mean if you get those four in the British Masters uh, in 2020 and they meet up with James Shanes and Zach and Paul Hurry and Edward Kennett and everyone else I mean goodness me that'll be a brilliant day's racing. Changes the dimensions of the 500s doesn't it if them four if them four do go up I know Luke's dabbled a couple of times obviously Charlie done two or three meetings towards the end of the year uh, I'm sure he's in the Masters qualifier next year. Uh, Jake's obviously been doing a bit of speedway last year in the National League. I believe he might be on a 500 a few times this year. And obviously, yeah, Henry. It'd be good to see Henry go go 500s full time. I think he had a good meet in um, at the qualifier at GTSA, didn't he? In 2018. Yeah, yeah absolutely. First time on a 500. So, yeah, uh, all four of them definitely got the potential to go a long way in the yeah. UK. And I think the highlight of the day for the 250 solos was just how brilliant the racing was and it was all youngsters. But 350 solos, a little bit different. I mean, there was some superb racing again. We lost Mark Giles early on in a horrible looking crash uh, where he sort of he came off coming into the sort of pit corner. But then controversy in the final. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Um don't want to dwell on it too much. It was an awful crash. Most people would have seen the video of it, and really, much poor Dave was in the uh, wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, I don't. I might be speaking out of turn here, but I think the crash could have been avoided. Tom Perry was sort of having a charge around the outside. Um, there were some harsh decisions being made for track taking or track markers being taken out, and Tom was just yeah, he had a big blast around the outside and was doing all he can to sort of keep the uh keep the bike on the inside of the track markers and just got well yeah him and hurry touched didn't they and we all know what happened after that yeah it was a nasty looking crash and uh paul and tom were the favorites to win that race uh but that incident happened and then paul had to borrow a bike for the rerun which he did go in uh and tom went in the rerun as well but packed up at some point in the race and through all the drama uh rob finlow became the champion again yeah no one i mean you can never write Rob off, but I think if you looked at the the initial running of the uh, the race, yeah, it was it was between Hurry and um, Hurry and Perry, wasn't it really? And yeah, Rob just took the opportunity and and made the start in the final, and I think it was up to second and made a great move in the end of the first lap and and never looked back really and took his second British yeah, title. Definitely. I think just uh, quickly touching on Tom, he um he was snapped a belt or a primary chain, I believe. Um, which could have obviously been a consequence of the uh, of the clash with Paul in the first running. Yeah, real shame to uh, for Tom to to see his title go like that. But uh, brilliant racing again in the 350 solos. And I know that Ben did touch on the uh, 
on the decision making on the day and it's a really difficult one because lots of people will remember that there was an awful lot of decisions being made you had the clerk of the course the assistant clerk of the course and the third eye all of them making uh, decisions they were trying to be really strict with the ruling of going outside the track markers and we've talked before about consistency and making sure it's consistent we've also talked about how hard it is to be consistent when you've got eight riders all on the track at once so there was some some decisions going in and they were desperately trying to be consistent with pegging and stopping it but it's such a difficult job it, it almost sort of ruined the meeting yeah i think it was a little bit over overkill wasn't it um but then how do you where do you draw I the line know. i mean at the end of the day if they went outside the flags they went outside the flags but you know if you if you exclude if you had eight riders in a race and six of them swerve outside the pegs and you exclude six of them it's going to ruin the race, surely. It's going to ruin the meeting. But they are breaking the rules. Yeah, I mean, when you put it like that. I mean, I think sometimes it, yeah, you have to use common sense, though, don't you? I yeah. mean, let's, let's look at Formula One. They've got curbs on the corners and that, but they all run over them and round them. And obviously, there's a limit there. But, you know, if you go outside the pegs, your limit is the ropes and the stakes. And if you hit them, that's your own fault. I know, obviously, there has to be a, there has to be a, a, a track limit. But I think sometimes you could use your common sense a bit better. And as Ben said, uh, the crash probably wouldn't have happened if Tom wasn't trying so hard to stay within the outside pegs. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a very, it's a, a constant problem in the sport in as much that we can't always keep an eye on all eight riders. And it's very difficult to be consistent and lots of rules get put in place to try and stop it. But it's very, very difficult. So uh, that day in particular, I remember... Uh, getting reports as the day went on saying that there's this person excluded that person's excluded there's a warning for this person it was all really quite confusing and to be there on the day must have been quite frustrating but there we go we we've said before it's not a job that we'd want the left-hand side cars of course also had their british championship there um at some point it looked like they might not be included in the meeting but they did get included which was really good will penfold and ricky pay actually it's the only meeting they did on the left-hander uh they bought a ex charlie ridley outfit and competed in the meeting didn't quite have enough to win it because it was won by rob heath and kyle fish in a brilliant final yeah it was a good final um despite will and ricky's best efforts we just couldn't find a way past rob and rob and kyle rode a really smart race um they had a good line and will and ricky couldn't make it make a way past and another one that couldn't make it past was tom penfold uh, and william naden of course on their uh, on their john morris sponsored outfit they've been flying all season but made an awful start in the final and with the winner take all final they had to try and fight their way through and scrimp and scrape and couldn't get through and ended up third overall uh but really i think tom and william must be so hungry for next year given the fact that they've ended up third last year yeah you'd like to think so i think um they're a crew that i think they've been around for a while but it's good to see them regularly competing and obviously with the help of john morris and that, that, I mean, it's a lovely sounding outfit, isn't it? And I think they could be, um, yeah, I think they could be one that could uh, could steal that title this Absolutely. coming year. Uh, now we've got the uh, the uh, proverbial elephant in the room, of course, the 500cc sidecars and the way that that all ended on the day. We've heard all about it. If you've not heard it, go on to episode one of the Grass Track Banter podcast and you'll hear uh, Mitch Godden's uh, perspective of the events of the day. Um, but from our point of view, obviously I wasn't there, but you boys uh, were there. Um, just a real shame that the meeting ended like that, Luke. Yeah, I mean, it had been a great day's race, and I think even the final of the 500 sidecars up to that point was uh, was shaping up to be a great race. Um, but yeah, um, 
racing incidents. You know, it's a part of um, a part of our sport. I think that's about all we can say on that. I mean, it was uh, it was a shame that the meeting ended in that way. Obviously, Mitch Gordon and Paul Smith, Josh Goodwin and Liam Brown involved in a uh, mid corner incident which led to further investigations after the meeting, and it led to a whole load of confusion after the meeting as to who was the champion. But eventually the news came that um, both Mitch and Paul and Josh and Liam were excluded from the results, uh, which meant that Sean Harvey and Danny Hogg were champions. So 10 times British champion Sean Harvey and nine times British champion Danny Hogg. So um, the positive to come from all of it is just how, uh, you know, how many titles they've won. It's a, it's a real remarkable uh, a remarkable result for them and a remarkable achievement. So the following week, back in the Eastern Centre again, and George will be racing, raced at Icon, and uh, a nice win for um, the 250 class. Yeah, Chris Mackey, um, first year in the adults, I believe, this year. So yeah, good to, good to see another winner. Obviously, one of George's Saturday meetings, and looking at results, it was well supported once again. Yeah, it was in most classes, but uh, the 1,000cc sidecars only had two. Anthony Sales actually took a win there, so... Uh, I think that might have been his first win on the sidecar, Anthony Sales, but not a lot of competition. Although, saying that, the other sidecar was Tom Marvell, and he's no slouch. Yeah, I mean, Anthony, well, we think is his first uh, first uh, win of the season. I mean, looking at the results, I mean, Lewis Davies uh, is going to be jumping on with Anthony in 2020, and Wayne Powell's boy's own outfit as well. So, yeah, even though there was just two, there's definitely some uh, green shoots, I suppose, in 2020, especially with Anthony Sales. I think the four of us think he's going to... Um, be going places this season. Yeah, also uh, just looking at results, I mentioned in the uh, the 250 boys um, from the Brits the week before, uh, winning the 500s was uh, Charlie Brooks there. I think that was probably his uh, debut on the grass on the 500. Yeah, and obviously a very exciting one too as well because we've got high hopes for Charlie in the 500 class. And on the same day, uh, sorry, on the same weekend, the following day was up north was Halesby's second meeting of the year uh, up in the uh, Cheshire Centre. And uh, another 500 solo win for Tony Atkin, who more or less made a complete comeback by that point in the season. And then the same day, Ben, uh, your club, Waterlooville, ran a grass track at um, an old stomping ground, Oslebury. Yeah, we did. Um, Didn't run in 2017, so it was good to get the... uh, 2018, sorry. So it was good to get uh, the club back on the map. We restayed or um, brought back with Southern Centre Championships after many years of being off the calendar. So, yeah, it, it was really good at a new venue for the club, but one that hadn't been used for some time, but has been used for the grass track in the past. So quite a famous venue. Um, and we had, a, we had a really good meeting. We had a good little crowd, despite sort of various other meetings on that weekend. As obviously, we mentioned George will be on a Saturday um the day before Pickering as well. The race was good. The track was good. Personally, I had a I had a good day. I put the misery of the um, sort of a couple of weekends before from the British champs behind me and sorted out the bike issues. Let myself down in the final. Done all the hard work in the heats. Went unbeaten and then missed the gate in the final. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Ollie Stanford took the uh, the 257 sent the crown in the 250 class. Barry Powell took the 350 championship. Uh, Martin Williams, another returnee, took the 500 solos. It was great to see Martin back, and I think that was his first ride of the year and looked like he'd never been away. Yeah, great to see Martin back. He's obviously a really good rider. And uh, in the youth autos, um, obviously, Archie Rolfe and Oliver Bovington once again battling away, but the third rider stirred up a little bit of interest. (laughs) Yeah, it did. A bit of a a coup, wasn't it? When uh, the phone rang, it was Chris Holder trying to get Max, his son, into the meeting. Um, of course, I, we'd done everything we could to get Max there, and it was good to see him make his uh, his racing yeah, debut. Great. And I think he had a good day. And I know that Chris uh, 
gets to the odd grass track here and there and it's good to have a world speedway champion uh for everybody to uh, have photo opportunities with and just have a chat with him and yeah great to see max and hopefully we'll see max and chris at a grass track again soon yeah chris was great he was really great with all the um all the youth riders and he stayed on and did the presentation for them as well which was really really cool um but yeah an overall a good meeting um obviously we're running the the upright british championship this year which is kindly sponsored by stella dispatch uh, i just kind of wanted to mention the upright results here because obviously tim kernock knows his way around that circuit now and laid down the marker for this year. He he took the victory in the upright solos. Andy Gon was second and, and Dave Hammond was third. So there's a couple of other names there we haven't mentioned already um, that, that could be up there for the uh, the upright yeah, champs this year. Dave Hammond uh, doubled up in the pre-75s and won the pre-75 competition ahead of uh, Chris Mackett and Neil Copestake. Yeah, Hammond, Mackett and Copestake are going to have some good races all day long. Yeah, they are um, good pre-75 racing. Um, great result really for Dave actually to beat Chris and Neil um, they do take some beating those two um, but yeah the day was concluded with, with the youth racing uh, Thomas Vinning took the victory in the youth juniors uh, Jordan Derrick took the inters so um, yeah some good victories there for the for those two uh, and then Will Will Offin and, and Steve Hargreaves took the, uh, the cycle yeah, win I think their only win of the year as well yeah they had a good day it was a good final actually um Personally, I was rooting for for local uh, local man John Hiscock. He he did lead the final, but um, yeah, he and the Amy's will often kind of swallowed them up a little bit. And I think John finished third in the end. But yeah, good a good day all round, and good to get Osbury back on the map. Track was decent, and yeah, good things to come. Absolutely. I think this year it's really good to see Osbury back. And uh, obviously for Ben and I, both Southern Centre boys, um, we had Osbury in the Southern Centre, and then the following week we had the Wimborne Whopper. So in the space of six, de- six days, we had two meetings uh, in the Southern Centre, which I can't remember the last time that would have happened, Ben. No, it's been a while, wasn't it? And sadly, it's looking like there's only going to be the one meeting in the Southern Centre this year. But let's not take anything away from Wimborne, because, I mean, I, I wasn't at the meeting personally, but by all accounts, it was a cracker. Yeah, it was. I mean, we'll talk about the end of the meeting in a minute and sort of unpick that a little bit, because it didn't quite go to plan. But... Uh, we arrived at the track sort of early on Saturday morning and there was a whole day of racing planned, uh, starting off with the youth racing and there was some brilliant youth racing on the day. And we've talked before, Luke, about uh, George Colvin and Thomas Vinning. What a day's racing those two had. Yeah, I think the juniors, I think, is probably one of our favourite classes from, from 2019. I mean, just the amount of riders that there's been. And like you say, I think those two had probably one of the best races of the day, if not if not the season. Yeah, it was brilliant. And uh, Austin Riches was never far away either. So the three of them, um, really good racing in the junior class. That's what started the day off. They had all of their races to start with. It wasn't planned like that. They uh, they had an on track start, and uh, that's not you're not supposed to have an on track start for um, junior racing or youth racing. But um, a special dispensation was made to have the juniors race on the on track start, provided none of the adults raced. So it meant that the youth juniors sort of uh, began the weekend's entertainment. Uh, and then after that, we got on with the GT140s and the 250s. First of all, the thing that sticks out in my mind from the GT140s, I don't know if you've seen the video, Ben, but the final in the GT140s was something unbelievable. Yeah, um, I have seen the video. Uh, almost a horrendous accident, I recall. Yeah, to start with, yeah. Carl Russian. I'm not sure if that was the yeah. final, yeah. Um, was that, was that a it heat, was, was that it? That was the final, yeah. He yeah. missed the... Uh, oh, well, that was the final. He missed the yeah. start, you know, Carl Russian. He missed, missed the start, so he was back in sort of eighth coming out of the corner 
And then he's collided with uh, Darren Sargent coming down the back straight. I don't know. Somehow nobody's <laughs> fallen off. I think Dino was shouting in I his helmet. And then he's... I don't know oh, how stayed on. And then Carl just went about his business, pulling um, Sean Harvey back. Sean Harvey led the race for the majority of it. And then Carl just got closer and closer and closer. And then in the last lap, got past him and won the race. But yeah, more brilliant racing from the GT140s. There was so many of them. The B final was really good as well that day for the GT140s. Um, I can't remember the winner. I think it was um, Callum Vanstone, I think, won the B final. But yeah, great racing in the uh, GT140s. Uh, I suppose we better talk about this 250 class that also happened on the Saturday afternoon, don't we, Russell? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'll tell you from our perspective. So, Russell, our mate Russell, was riding well. Um, he had a couple of wins and beat Tim Grigg, which we were pleased about. Uh, Tim, of course, back from injury at that point. Uh, but there was a young lad called Chad Wurtzfeld, who many of you will know out there, and Chad was absolutely flying. Um, he doesn't ride a motocross bike like Russell does, He rides uh, or a motocross engine. He rides a sort of a JRM style bike and he was very very quick and we came into the last set of heats uh, and Russell and Chad were tied on points so there was lots of text messages going between myself Ben and Luke how's Russell getting on well he's won all his races but he's not likely to win the meeting because Chad Wurtzfeld's going to win this and then I said the fateful words unless of course something happens to Chad and then what happened to Chad <laughs> uh, yeah poor Chad uh, led his final ride uh, I can't remember, it was the end of the second lap, wasn't it? Going into the yep. top corner. Um, he hit a bump and uh, lost his rear chain and went down, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we were, we were gutted for Chad, but, uh, yeah, it was very exciting, Russell, to know that you'd won such a prestigious meeting. Yeah, uh, can't take it away from Chad. When I, I only met Chad once that day, yeah, I led him for a lap or two, and he come past me. I don't know what the trouble, what the emergency was, to be honest, but he was in a hurry uh, to get to wherever he was needed to be. So, yeah, can't can't take it away from Chad, you know. But, yeah, luck, Lady Luck shone down on me that day, should we say. Yeah, unbelievable. A couple of good races with Tim as well, worth mentioning. Uh, that was, Tim, it was Tim's first meeting back that day. My first race of the day was with Tim. Yeah, it was, it was like Tim had never been away. Got to the first corner and there he was, <laughs> straight out the gate, straight into the lead. Like he, uh, like he'd been racing all season, but yeah, like I say, Lady Luck shone down on me, thankfully for a change, and uh, yeah, it really was an honour to be honest to win the Wimbledon Whopper. So, uh, just thank you to the club for having us again. Yeah, it was great. It was great to have the 250s and obviously the juniors and the GT140s on the day, um, and obviously we were waiting for the evening because it was a floodlit meeting. Just the last word there on uh, Kai Ward because that was Kai Ward's debut in the adults and he rode really well as well yeah he did uh, he won the last heat when uh, the rerun uh, obviously when Chad fell off he won that him and Danny Curl had a bit of a scrap in that one um, and him winning that heat meant that um, Tim missed out on the podium by a point or two I believe so so yeah well done yeah, to Kai absolutely and uh, yeah so after the uh, juniors and the 250 solos and the G2140s in the afternoon we then waited uh, for the evening and for sort of twilight to hit um, and it really did have a big a big event feel Luke didn't it yeah it really did um, I was lucky enough to um, to compete in it and it did feel like uh, a meeting of old or even a sort of a big international massive crowd and then obviously the floodlights as well no it was real real special occasion and uh, grateful to be a part yeah, of it absolutely um, we obviously it was the midsummer so it wasn't too dark to begin with um, and we just raced under sort of 
Uh, dusk, I guess, is the best description for it. But some of the racing was fast and furious right from the word go. Um, poor old Jamie Fenn-Smith, you know, I think in the first heat, dropped it and banged his head. And that was him out for the evening. Um, but the 500 solos was really close. And obviously the meeting got stopped at the end and didn't complete its full distance. And we'll talk about that in a second. But eventually we ended up with a three-way tie between um, James Shanes, Edward Kennett and Paul Cooper for the win in the 500cc solos. And, uh, and Paul Hurry finished fourth overall. Uh, Hurry actually beat James Shanes in one of the heats. Um, which was a really good race for Paul. Uh, Shane's beat Ed Kennett. Cooper didn't meet Ed or James, so it was all really confusing, and eventually they agreed to sort of share the winnings, I think. Now, the B final was a, a, a similar to how they've done it in many places. It's the winner. Uh, the first and second places in the B final would, would progress to the A final, and the B final threw up an absolute monster of a race. They, uh, they didn't seem uh, too bothered about both going through, did they? They just wanted oh, to win it. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Matthew Tressieu, obviously uh, former world champion, um, and Kenneth Hansen, Danish rider who's sort of fairly new to the grass track. But uh, what a race that was! Yeah, they they wasn't hanging about, was they? That would have uh, that could have quite easily have been the uh, the A final, couldn't it? Uh, you'd have been quite happy to go home having watched them two dice it out for the yeah, win. It was brilliant, and uh, Matt Tressieu and and eventually they sort of clashed coming down the back straight, and it threw Matt Tressieu's chain off which left Kenneth Hansen to win the race. And Andrew Appleton, who was following in third, got the second, and that put him into the A final. But there was there was also a problem with the uh, the meeting being finished in the sidecar class because both Gareth and Billy Winterburn and Mark Gosser and uh, uh, Robbie Simmons was riding with him that day. They'd both gone through the card unbeaten. None of them had been, Neither of them had been beaten. So they eventually had to decide the winner over the fastest race time. I don't think that's... Uh, obviously, the circumstances dictated that, didn't they? But unfortunately, yeah... Not the best of ways to obviously decide a tie, but wasn't really uh, many ways around it, was there, unfortunately? Better than using a, a coin toss or random straws, though. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we all agree on that. And uh, just last couple of points there on in the 1,000 sidecars. It was actually the B final in the 1,000 sidecars that, that sort of brought a stop to the meeting. It had got dark by the time of the B finals, and it was really quite dark, And um, even though the floodlights were on. And a fairing came off in one of the pit corners, which was mistaken for a passenger by the commentator, I believe. And uh, they they called the race to a halt and nobody could really decide whether or not to carry on with the meeting, I think. Yeah, it was. uh, I believe you are right. Yeah, I think Colin did call it as a passenger, but it it wasn't spotted at all, was it? It it laid there for a lap um, and it was right on the racing line as well, wasn't it? And I can't think who the three were at the front, but they were having a real good scrap, weren't they? And uh, they were definitely going to pile into it when they come to that pit. Yeah, corner. Well, I mean, Rob Wilson hit it and then Paul Whiteland ran it over as well. So, I mean, if it had been a passenger, well, it doesn't bear thinking about really. No, absolutely. That's right. So, yeah, shame shame that the meeting had to end that way as it was certainly building up to, to a big finish. At the end of the day, you've got to make the right decision, haven't you, for the rider's absolutely. safety. And it was just, you know, I think there was four races left. We were four races from, you know, potentially one of the best meetings of the year. It was... I mean, if those four finals had taken place, the meeting had everything. It had all the trimmings. It had all the, you know, the fairground. It had the big crowd, the floodlights. Um, everything was there in place for it to be a brilliant meeting. Four races more, and we would have uh, been talking about it for many years to come. But it wasn't to be, and I think you're absolutely right, Russ. You've got to think of the rider's safety, and the rider's safety is absolutely paramount. Unfortunately, though, Wimborne don't seem to be running in uh, 2020, which is a huge shame because we know what a great club Wimborne are. 
Um, and we do hope that something big comes from them in the future. I'm sure we've not seen the last of the Wimborne Club. But congratulations to them on what they achieved that night. Um, I think, uh, although it didn't quite finish as well as we'd hoped, it was still a, a, just a brilliant meeting. And then the uh, the July season was finished with a club meeting up in Pickering. So, uh, again, Jade Mudgeway uh, took the 500cc solos. He does a lot of racing up at Pickering. Uh, but I'm told by uh, Denise, who works at Pickering Club, that Jade is actually a team manager for um, Redcar. Redcar, Red yeah, Car. which I didn't realise. Yeah, I think I've read something recently. And uh, and one interesting uh, rider in the results that um, that I didn't pick up on at Bridgewater earlier is uh, sixth place in the 250 solos, and that's uh, Jordan Cross. What's the significance of Jordan? Jordan is the um, the son of former rider Simon Cross. I think. I was chatting to chatting to them both actually um, late on in the year at Ledbury, uh, no sorry Worcester, and Jordan um, he he basically came across Simon's old bike in the shed and restored it from from what it once was and uh, yeah it it was rusty and old and kind of had it as a project really to to restore it to its former glory and then got it to the stage where it was ready to ride and. Yeah, decided he's going to ride Dan's bike, and it was good yeah, to see him out there. I didn't realise that was uh, who that was, so we'll keep an eye out for that name in the future. I'm guessing he'll have another go in 2020. But yeah, another good meeting up at Pickering. Obviously, they run a good club grass track meeting, so and more of the same, I think, planned for 2020 for Pickering. Next up, it's our preview section as we start to look forward now towards the 2020 season. Now then, we're going to unpick a few things on the uh, 2020 fixture list for the first few months of the racing season. First of all, of course, the season starts with the Ledbury leader. Always a good meeting at the beginning of the season, Ben. Yeah, always um, a good event. It sets the stall down for the year, doesn't it? And um, you get a well-supported event. And um, I think everyone's out in earnest, aren't they, on their new bikes and first event of the season, really. Yeah, we had a really good lineup. Well, there's always a really good lineup at that meeting. So we look forward to the Ledbury leader at the beginning of the year and plenty of other meetings at the beginning of the year as well. Russell GTSA, they're hoping to run another club meeting. They're running the qualifier, but... Looks like the Dig Dog Dash 3 might be on the horizon. Yeah, hopefully so. Uh, missed, uh, obviously, only being a mere 250 rider. Missed not riding at uh, GTSA last year. Um, as we've said, the track at the Masters looked absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, hopefully us us mere club riders can, can get a beat in there this year. Yeah, and uh, also in that part of the world, of course, Maidstone Aces. They've got their AGM coming up, Luke, and hoping for more positive things from the Maidstone Aces club. Yeah, they've got their uh, AGM coming up on the 30th of January, so um, at the uh, Hawkenbury Inn down there in Kent, which is open to anyone, so if anyone uh, maybe wants to get involved with a club or, you know, sort of lend a hand, then uh, get down there. All the information's on the uh, Maidstone Aces Facebook page. Great stuff, and uh, also another bit of news this week that we didn't mention at the top, actually, is that the 500cc Sidecar Association of have announced the date of the t- in October. I think that they're going to run. Yeah, they've uh, announced uh, the 10th of October, which is a, a Saturday. I know we've um, spoken briefly about that um, in previous episodes, but yeah, I think they've put that down. I think there's issues with the the venue, so yeah, they've gone with the 10th of October, and then I think uh, building up to to the season after as well. I mean, it's uh, I really enjoyed riding there the last couple of seasons, so hopefully they can uh, have uh, a couple more meetings the following yeah, season. Really good club up there. Obviously, our track of the year as well for 2019 and I know that uh, there's some big plans for that club so uh, next week we hope to continue to preview the 2020 season but from next week we'll be bringing to the table things that we are looking forward to in the coming season so the boys and I will be talking through meetings events competitions that we think will be a treat for 2020 as well as considering who we think 
might be making an impact on the sport and how we predict some of the things might pan out. As always, we'd love to hear from our listeners and feature some of your thoughts and opinions on the coming season. So why not get in touch with us by using our email, grasstrackbanterpodcast at outlook.com and let us know what you're looking forward to in the 2020 season. And we'd love to know some of your big predictions and then perhaps announce them and, and pick them apart and maybe agree with them on the show. Coming up next, it's our big interview with the one and only James Shanes. So I'm delighted to be joined for our Outside the Pegs interview this week by a very recent former European champion and the reigning defending British Masters champion, Mr. James Shanes. Hello, James, and welcome to the podcast. Hey. Hey, nice to be on. It's been a great podcast to listen to the last couple of weeks, so I'm glad I get to do my little bit and hopefully enlighten some of the fans with what goes on. Yeah, that'll be great. It's great to have you on, James, and obviously uh, we've heard from Graham Hurry already and Mitch Godden, and now we've got... Uh, got yourself it's uh, it's really good for us um but first of all james i think what people really want to know is how's all your recovery coming along amazingly um it's been a long road and a slow road but um i've been discharged from the hospital last month i believe i was signed off from them with they're happy for me to get back training and everything um we've had a few step backs with in um i injured my shoulder training and, and a few little things like that but it's all going well um i'm back in the gym i'm back at work and the bikes are all coming along nicely, so I'm just waiting for the weather to clear up so I can get on and have a little play. Oh, well, that's brilliant news, James. I mean, I know you probably don't want to de- dwell on it too much, but what was the extent of the injuries in the end? Um, there was a lot of injuries. Um, I broke my T6 and T7. Um, I had a blister on my spinal cord. I smashed, destroyed one of my discs. I had two bruised lungs, a bruised heart, and a Bennett fracture on my thumb. God, that's really nasty. I mean, I've seen a video yeah. of the accident and it was a nasty-looking fall. Do you remember much about the crash? Yeah, that's the worst bit about it. I was conscious for most of the accident until I like went to go take my goggles off because I thought I, was, I thought I was winded when I take when I get my goggles off and collapse on the floor and wake up in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. Oh, really not good. So, not no. good at all. But obviously, uh, you know, it's probably a, the biggest one you've had to date, and hopefully that's it for crashing for you. But um, fighting fit for 2020 though yeah that's the plan um, hopefully you know obviously the first time I get back on the bike we'll, we'll know more with how the injury is properly um, I've been back on the mountain bike and, and all stuff like that and everything seems normal um, I've got very little restricted movement it's just working out what I need to train on more before the season starts so hopefully the weather turns so I can actually get back on a bike and try yeah and see how we feel I mean in your mind do you feel like you're ready to get back on the thing yeah I feel ready um you know, so I rode into the HU Awards, Awards even last last night, and that was the first time riding in public. So, thankfully, that went well. And I've ridden up and down the drive when trying to get the bikes ready for today or for yesterday, even and for the season. So, you know, it's not it's not knocked my confidence too much. Um, it's just a case of starting off slowly and, and building up into being back on race pace. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a bit of a baptism of fire for you because obviously you're, rightly so, back in the world long track and obviously the European semi will come up pretty quick and uh, the grass track season will be with us in no time and you've got your speedway as well. So big 2020 plan for you again? Yeah, it's going to be a very, very busy year. Um, They've changed the um, league format slightly on the speedway so it's a league and a little bit of racing. So, you know, I'm going to be very busy. Um, there's a couple of very busy weeks coming up with um, the fin- Finnish GP and things like that. So it's, you know, exciting times. I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's just getting everyone, the whole team, G'd up, ready to go for what could be a very busy year. 
Yeah, brilliant. Well, it's really good. Um, if we go back a little bit, James, we've uh, with the other interviewees we've had, we've talked a little bit about their past, and I think we definitely need to talk a bit about what's got you to this point. So we'll go back a little bit, James. And you've always been around grass track your entire life. Obviously, I can remember you um, and your mum and dad at racing when dad was riding. Um, in fact, yeah. my earliest memory of you, I've told you before, is uh, possibly your first meeting at East Ogwell, and it was muddy, and you were on a tiny little PW, I think. And I think that's yeah. why you ended up with the number 93, wasn't it? Yeah, I... I wanted to be 193, I wanted to copy Dad, but the, the, one, the 193 didn't fit my first number plate, so I had to make a decision of what way I went, so I decided to go 93, and, you know, it's kind of stuck ever since. Yeah, but those uh, those early days, obviously, have sort of turned you into a, a grass tracker out, outright, really. I think that lots of, we know that lots of youngsters go off to Speedway, but having seen you come up through the ranks of youth it's difficult to think of you ever going anywhere else really yeah grass is, is is my heart and soul I, i've done it since i was six and been around it i think my first meeting i ever went to i was about three months old so you know i've been around it my whole life and obviously my sisters and mum and dad have all been around it so it's 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 home away from home i mean everyone everyone at meetings is it's a second family really so you know i can't see myself ever falling out of love with some grass track it's Brush has kept me still on a bike when I've been going through tough times on speed. I've been looking, like, looked forward to getting back out on the Brasher bike and just having a ride around in a nice muddy field some days. Yeah, you can't beat it, I don't think. But uh, through the youth ranks, you went and always supported as much of the grass when you were coming through the youth as possible. And you must have some real fond memories of your youth racing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a shame to see the youth scene like die off a little bit. I remember riding at Swindon Youth and there have been sort of two classes of near enough everyone with 12 rides in each race and you know that was an amazing new scene I can remember riding against like the likes of Natalia Willis and Robbie Lambert every so often and you know the the scene was incredible to ride and then it really brought on a lot a lot of the rides were brought on for it and it the southwest scene was 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 very big and had a lot of good riders in so like me and Zach both came through the sort of southern juice scene so definitely made some good riders and it was great fun to be a part of that. yeah definitely and it was um it's it's with something we've talked about on the podcast ourselves and we're not sure what what the reason is really for it sort of going quiet over the last few years i mean the southwest scene like you said we used to have a lot of re- meetings down this way in the southwest and that's obviously a big factor but yeah it's just not as strong anymore it's a real shame yeah it's hard to pinpoint like why it's gone but I know obviously the speedway scene the youth speedway is kicked off massively and they do sort of under 21 do like two day training camps here there and everywhere they have riders coming and train them and there's a lot more of a youth scene in in speedway so where before you used to sort of go through youth grass track and then you'd go to speedway but you still do a little bit of grass track I think now you can start speedway at such like a lot earlier so people just go straight to speedway and never even consider going to grass track which is a massive shame yeah, big shame. But having said that, there's a lot of quick lads coming through at the minute. I mean, we've got sort of Jake Mulford, who's just about to join in the adults, and Henry Atkins has been about not really had a proper go on the 500s. He's had a couple of meetings, but not a real, real go. Charlie Brooks, obviously, as well. And then if we look a bit, a bit, bef- you know, the ones coming into the adults, Cameron Taylor, Mickey Simpson, yeah. and and then this year that junior class has been amazing. So. Oh, um, yeah, some of the junior races I've, I've watched, I've had, I've had sort of you know five minutes and watched some of the junior races. It's been absolutely amazing, um, and to be like Jake Mulford's on it at the minute. Um, I've had you know, the pleasure of out with um, someone for like he's got some of my old bikes now, and just we've paired him up with Roger RTS to sort of give him the best the best footing he can possibly have, and some of the things that I didn't have when I was sort of younger and 
like knowledge wise that I needed I sort of passed on to him and to Cameron and to try some of the younger riders because in sort of 10 years time I want my I want to be fighting for my my team GB sport and my long track spot I want to be fighting for it with another young British rider so you know I pass on all my knowledge that I've got to them hopefully they use it use it in sort of step forward yeah it must be quite exciting for you because uh, obviously you're only 20 just well 22 now and in yeah. 10 years time they're all going to be in the adults and they're going to be around all that junior class are going to be sort of 17 18 it must be really exciting yeah. to be to be able to be a part of that one day yeah it's don't get me wrong i'm gonna you know i'm gonna dread the day that i've said i, I helped them and they use <laughs> against me i'm gonna dread that day but you know <laughs> england is england has got such a good there's still such so many like young riders that can make it in the sport and uh, some some of the some some of the means it comes down to budget and to knowledge and if i can pass on my knowledge to some of the, some of the riders and you know i helped jake out with all my old clutch plates and my old tires and stuff like that that are still usable for him that i've i can't use anymore it saves him it saves them a little bit and i've done it with cameron as well so it's exciting times to see where they can go with you know the sort of pedestal they've been given i know carl russian is doing this show to try and give you know us sort of a you know stage to shout from and if we can show how great the sport is hopefully we'll have a bit of a revamp in it yeah we hope so and uh, obviously yourself, like when you went into the uh, into the adults, I think that the the, the yeah, sort of intermediate class had gone a little bit quiet when you come into the adults, and so you hit the adults in the two fifty class and immediately on the pace. So that must have been really exciting for you when you first come up into the adults. Yeah, I didn't really expect to gel that quickly with being in the adults. Um, you know, I so I kind of jumped on the two fifty and I found I found my feet on the two fifty, and I can remember going to um, I think my first adult meeting was at. Uh, Bristol a couple of days after my birthday and um, went out for practice and come back in and said practice is absolute carnage with uprights and any, anything you can imagine on the track at the same time and coming from the youth where there's only sort of six of you on the track at the same time to suddenly have 12 of you was quite a quite a shock to the system but it was good fun and you know riding against dad was always interesting and you know good fun on the way home and I dive He'd, he would bully me in the first call or try to and then I would repay him the confidence so we had a good fun on the way home after having a good meeting together yeah, yeah good stuff I I forgot that you and your dad would have raced at the same time I think it's uh, yeah not many of us get to do that but yeah good fun and then great. obviously yeah I bet and then um, yeah you rode in a lot of British grass tracks when you first sort of came up and you you know with the 250 and then the bit of the 350 and then the obviously the 500 as well and lots of British grass tracks all over the place at club level and everything and do you think that was a really valuable experience doing that? Yes, I, I, I love it. I love riding in England, love supporting what's... If it wasn't for English grass track, I wouldn't be where I am now. So I still like to support as many as I can. And it's helped me out in so many ways, even on Speedway. We've been to some... I've been to some very dodgy Speedway tracks and being a grass track rider, and it's never, it hasn't phased me. I sort of just worked out how to get on with it and got on with it. I've, in, the, in the pouring rain or if the track's been knee deep, it hasn't really bothered me. And, you know, that's massive thanks to the grass track scene, really. Yeah, and nowadays you uh, obviously have got a lot of commitments with the, uh, well, not so much the speedway, but the the continental con- the contracts you have over there. But you still pop up on the odd grass track over here. Uh, is there any tracks yeah. really that you sort of like riding over here? I like riding Lebrys tracks. Um, Lebrys been a good a good hunting ground for me since I was young, and I've, I've joined Lebrys as a club member. So to you know, I like to pay it back to them. I go, go to, I try and go to Lebry always at the start of the year. Um, Wimborne put a good meeting on. And so does Astra. I love going to them sort of tracks. Um, I'm kind of upset that um, like Rose Minnis and places like that have gone because I'd, I'd love to ridden Rose Minnis and Collier Street um, and places like that. But unfortunately, they 
disappeared before it got going right properly. But yeah, it's one of them things, unfortunately, isn't it? Yeah, I think you probably just just missed out College Street. I think you did it as a youth. I think you rode it, didn't you? Yeah, I think I rode it when it was half boarded on the two fifty, two fifty, three fifty time. Mm. Um, when the first one rode on three fifty, I blew Dad's three fifty up. He wasn't really impressed with me. No. Um, if it's not bad yeah, enough so that you're beating him every weekend, you're then blowing his bike up as well. Yeah, he wasn't very impressed. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good fun, but it's a shame some of these good tracks are gone. But there's still there's still a few about. I, I try to go to as many as I can and support the people that supported me when I was younger. Yeah, I think that a lot of uh, I think we all know that despite the fact that people work tirelessly on uh, venues and tracks, we're not spoiled like we are, like they are in Germany and uh, and France and sort of holland as well but you know we've got some decent tracks and there's some bloody good racing as well and um luke obviously our co-host he's heavily involved in frittenden club and we haven't seen you at frittenden for a few years and he'd kill me if i didn't ask are you likely to ride at frittenden in 2020 i don't know it all depends on on the calendar really um sometimes i get an odd weekend off and i just need i need some time off i've been i've been flat out for a couple of weeks before i just need to put my feet up for five minutes so it's very hard to try and balance you know wanting to ride and support all these local tracks but trying to not over, overdo it too much and cause myself more harm so it's quite a dodgy it's quite hard to balance it but if the schedule allows me i'll definitely turn up and have a little go excellent well just thinking back again from your your uh some of your highlights of your career obviously your first british masters was at swingfield uh which is where the masters is this year uh, back in not very long ago 2014 I'm saying back like it was ages ago it's not been very long and uh, in many ways I think it marked your arrival in the sport I mean you sort of you'd done a bit of winning and been around a little bit but you got to that Masters and still very young but managed to finish fourth overall so yeah I reckon yeah. that was you arriving on the scene yeah it was it was um, a very surreal day like mum and dad said they've watched the Masters final for years and all of a sudden they're pushing me out into the Masters final with a chance of me getting on the podium and you know, I was looking up to sort of like Andrew Appleton and David Howe and all the likes of these people are still idols to me. And next thing I know, I was in between. I think I was in between David and Andrew, and I was being shoved. I think David was shoving me into Andrew to try and you know get an advantage. And it was a great experience to be part of, and it definitely did sort of mark almost the start of it, like the start of the big climb for me, really. And I did enjoy every minute of that day. Yeah, and then obviously the following year, you won your first one. Yeah, yeah, I think it was at Wimborne I won the first meet, yeah. the first um, my first Masters, and it was it was a, such a thrill, um, just an odd experience. I, it was one of them days I just couldn't really say what happened, but it all clicked into winning my first Masters at my local track, and everything like that was just absolutely amazing. I still I still remember that day, you know, like it was just yesterday. Yeah, it was brilliant, and uh, your reaction as you come over the line. I mean, you were just. Abs- you could see you were absolutely elated with what had just happened and it was it was great to see and obviously from those of us that had watched you ride since you were six years old coming through and then winning the Masters and there was a lot of um, Speedway wildcards that had been thrown into the mix for that day as well so for you to, to make them all look a bit silly and just smash a lot of them on that day it was put a smile on a lot of grass track fans' faces I think Yeah, you know you don't rarely get days like that now it's like everything just goes right and it was one of them days I just couldn't I was absolutely nervous the day before. I was in, I was, I was a wreck the day before, and um, I went out with a couple of my friends for dinner and whatnot to try and keep my mind off it, and turned up and just did it. And at the end of it, it was such a an emotional evening. Um, I think we ended up going to my grandma's, and by the time 
I got from the track to my grandma's, it was like 10 minutes down the road, I polished off a whole bottle of champagne and <laughs> I was a giggly mess for the rest of the night. But <laughs> it, was, it was such a good experience and, you know, that it really did mark the start of everything and, you know, I won that meeting on, you know, a second hand. I was, I was, I was riding the same bike I had in the Inters, was the bike I rode in that meeting, I was in a second hand suit um, and all of that stuff and it really sort of gave me the push I needed and the backing I needed to make the step up to sort of like the GP and the European levels. Yeah, it was definitely. I mean, obviously then you went on, you won that one and then you won it again two times after and the first person ever to outright win, I mean, Calvin Tatum won it three times, but he had to share it one time, but you were the first person to win it three times in a row, but then Zach got the better of you at Cheshire. Yeah, that was a, a hard day. It was, I was having a good day and till the final I got a puncher. Um, you know, the worst bit was I put a new tyre in for the final and lost about the second second or third lap in I got a puncher um, but all credit to Zach he, he was riding very well that day in anyway so you know whether I would have beaten him without the puncher I don't know um, it was a very tricky track there but a very fun track to ride at Cheshire and um, all credit to him he, he won and it's great to see that it's not just there's all sort of two young riders that are at the forefront of British racing yeah it's brilliant absolutely brilliant and again yeah Cheshire was a real challenging track we've talked about before it was uh, not for the faint-hearted, I don't think, but we had two lads who have no. come up through the ranks on the grass. Uh, didn't phase you, um, but for a puncture, no, you a proper might have been grass track, really. <laughs> oh, yeah, and some, I think. Only way to describe it, it was, it was a proper meeting. Yeah, it certainly yeah. was. Yeah, it was something to watch. But then last year, Dig Dog Lane of in twenty nineteen, you went through the card unbeaten and won your fourth British Masters. Yeah, Dig Dog Lane again. It was just one of them days. Um, just worked perfectly for me. I, it really did. I don't know what I did, but it worked. I spent the whole meeting putting teeth on, which is quite rare. You normally taking teeth off as a meeting go on. But I said to Dad after practice, "That's fine. Leave it." Went after the first race, put a tooth on, put a tooth on, put a tooth on. I just couldn't. You know, I was worried about not being able to survive four laps. And for the final, I said to Dad, "I've got to make a gamble." And he said, "What are you going to drop a tooth?" And I said, "No, I'm going to put another tooth on," which shocked dad completely he wasn't expecting me to turn around and say that to him and you know it was a case of make make the start and take control of the first corner and um in there's a photo somewhere of in the first corner i completely lost the front end of the bike yeah um <laughs> god knows how i saved it but i came back to dad and said i've lost the front end going into the first corner he said oh you didn't and then the photo surfaced and i showed him and he was like how you stayed on i don't know but <laughs> i stayed on and then again it was an emotional an emotional day because the whole family was there which is um you know very rare do i get the whole the whole family turn up sisters and nieces and nephew and all of them turned up so it was a proper family experience for the day all of your titles have come from the uh, winner take all final but you've gone through the card each time and i'm un- unbeaten uh, and obviously there if you'd have uh, if you'd have dropped it at that first corner it would have been an absolute travesty like you you know yeah, what do you feel about that one off fi- uh, the winner take all final it's it saved myself. It saved me several times, and it's cost me for um, um, like my first European title. I was for for one of the words I was at the meeting, and I went into the B final, last qualifier, and went through to win the meeting. And then this year at the European final, it cost me dearly. But it just depends on what day you're having. If you're having a if you're having an unbeaten day, you want points. But if you're having a bad day, you want some benefits. Yeah, one of them things, really. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the European final because uh, obviously that was at Swingfield too um, in 2016. Um, and it was just the, yeah, you, you looked like you were completely out of the meeting and then right at the end everything just turned around and uh, you became the European champion. Yeah, it was a um, a Disney ending really. Um, <laughs> I had a disaster of day. I had 
gearbox problems, engine problems, crashes, belts, you sort of name it. I had it. It was such an emotional day. I was won a race and then I had a DNF and then won a race DNF and going into the B final, dad said to me, this is good enough. Like you've made the B final, you've had a disgrace yourself. And I remember coming off the start and by the end of the second or third lap, getting behind Pepe Frank in second. And I thought to myself, do I race Pepe or do I just sit here? And, you know, I made the decision to sit behind him take second into the, to, and go to the final and went to pick my gate and for some reason I decided I wanted um, green green was the best gate for me that day walked into walked into the tent to pick my gate and there was green sat there in front of me so I came back to the van with a complete different attitude with the attitude that it was it was, it was my, my, my chance to take it and unfortunately the, the first one of the final got stopped um, real very harsh decision on Yannick to exclude him there was a lot of, lot of lot of shoving in the first corner but you know to then pull off a, another start the same was amazing yeah. and it was one of, them, one of the longest four laps I've ever done by the end of it things were you know rattling and I was hearing things and just wanting the bike to get across the line and to cross the line and to realise that I'd done it in Kent at the time I was riding for Kent and in England in front of all the fans it was just you know one of the one of the highlights of my career that so far yeah, absolutely. And then obviously the following year, you defended the title in uh, in Germany. A brilliant night for British riders. That was a very um very um British track. Um, I remember going when I walked the track, and as I was going onto the track, Charlie Powell was coming off, and he turned around and said, "It's Bristol." I thought, "What do you mean it's like Bristol?" He said, oh, "It's just exactly the same as Bristol, like the very first track they had." Walked the track, come off, and I said, "Dad, it's, like, it's Bristol." And that was one of them days again. I nothing went wrong. I had a few problems in practice. I him out for the meeting and just went through the meeting without, with no problems, no drama, no sweat, which is, you know, the complete opposite of how I did it the first time. Yeah, yeah, a bit more plain sailing for, for the second title. But uh, obviously next year, we've got the final at Midshires, so chance of having it again, but winning it at home again. Yeah, that would be amazing if I could win it again and do it on home soil again would be absolutely amazing. So I think there's only two other rides that have won three European titles, I think. So to join, you know, a very sort of elite group to have three to my name would be absolutely amazing. And again, to do it like in England is just—it's such a, a surreal experience. You can't really describe that. Yeah, it'll be, I'll be a lot of people uh, cheering you on. I'm sure at the uh, well, we've got to get through the semi-final yet, of course. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's always the stumbling block. Yeah, we've got Tyak, uh, which I'm guessing you would rather opt for Bielefeld because of uh, Tyak, of course, clashes with the world long track. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, that's that's it. And Tyak's a, a speedway track. Bielefeld's a, a grass track, and I've done well. I've ridden Bielefeld two or three times now and I've loved riding it so given the choice I'll, you know, I would choose um, Bielefeld over Tyak any day yeah well I think that's uh, most people have yeah, well the four of us had looked at the the riders going and we'd looked at where to put you all and we said well James has got to go to Bielefeld like that'll be the that'll be perfect for him so um, yeah. yeah hopefully we get all eight of you in the final and then who knows yeah God, it'd be, it would be would be an awesome thing to have all eight in the um, you know the final of the final that would be, be an amazing thing I really want it but you know it's going to be hard push with Kenneth Hansen going so well and did very well round um, Midtrides as well so yeah, you know we see if we can pull off another all Brit podium but you know who knows what's going to happen on the day let's hope so we'll have our fingers crossed but um, moving away from the European and to the World Long Track Series obviously you've been a regular in the World Long Track Series since 2017 now so fairly well experienced in it um, you must be delighted to, to get back into it for 2020 yeah I was you know when I, I saw the the picks that the AC put forward to work I'd been me and Zach I was you know I thought they would, you know, Zach was going to get the choice being the European champion and you know me 
were coming out with injury. I wasn't sure how they were going to look at that. But to get the phone call to say I was had the wild card really helped me through recovery because it gave me a purpose that I had. I had. I was back where I started, and I could train to to go back to where I left off. And you know, it's difficult this year with um, going to Forza and mauled off the two tracks. I I'm not really a thousand meter rider yet, so I'm struggling on the really big tracks. And you know, to see Enram disappear, which is a track that I've done very well at. Yeah. And, very badly at but you know it's hopefully we're going to see how they go with a thousand meter tracks i've been working with roger rts and tornado to try and work out a few little things to try and give me a little bit of an edge over a few riders yeah we've talked a little bit on the podcast about um about the long track series and about the uh well you know forza and moldorf obviously are what we would describe as um long tracks herxheim perhaps as well but larry Ole's a grass track in our mind and the polish one is not anywhere near a grass track or a long track so no, yeah you've no. got to be really adaptable but... yeah that's the problem with the last the gp the last few years it's been so the track's been so variant it's quite hard to sort of get yourself into a river maybe at mauled off one day and then next round you're at you know enrum yeah. and the tracks are so different and engines are so different it's quite difficult to sort of get yourself set up for them but i guess at the end of it, you get a proper world champion but whether it's a long track champion i'm glad the debate really isn't it yeah it certainly is but um obviously larry o i think is somewhere that you enjoy riding and um but the interest the, the speedway one will be interesting i would have thought yeah it'd be interesting and be very difficult riding the speedway track with a 22 a 22 tire but mm. you know it's one of the challenges of the night um, i know they went there a couple of years ago now and you know they had heard good things about it um but then i believe they didn't ride in the polish league last year or the year before they weren't in the Polish League because the track needed too much work doing to it so they've obviously redone the track and they're back in the Polish League I believe and we're going there so it'll be interesting to see um, it's been a dream to ride in Poland so at least I'm, you know, I'm getting a ride in Poland either way so yeah. <laughs> been experience yeah well best of luck with that obviously um, you know we'll be behind all of you it'd be great to see Zach get into a few as well and have all of you in there but um it's a, a good position that our country's in at the moment in, the, in as much that both yourself and Zach would have been perfect candidates for that wild card. But um, I think given the fact that you were already placed in a qualifying position when you got injured, it's the right, definitely the right decision. Not taking it away from Zach, of course. He's our European champion, but um, it's a real luxurious position we're in at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see how many riders or things that have, you know, you can still have the European and... You know, you get eight places for the European final or the semis, and there's sort of you know you could double the riders that we've got available to do it and that are good enough to do it. So, you know, I it'll be nice to see in the next few years some of the um, some of the older riders sort of step down from the ranks and allow the maybe less experienced riders to step up and you know have their go and get the experience that they need out there to keep progressing. Well, we'll wait and see. Obviously, um, we've talked a bit about the the World Long Track Series on here and uh, there's been a few well we've got a few grumblings and obviously Graham Hurry we spoke to the other week and he's got a few grumblings but obviously you're a rider competing in it and yeah how how do you feel about the tournament itself? It's, it's, it's a well-run thing I mean they've made a few changes again for this year they've changed a few things like how the points are and, and things like that which make it different whether it's better or worse I don't really know but you know it's not a, I don't class it as a long track World Series anymore like I said we're going to um Rezo, Rezo, however you say it. Um, Don't ask me, Tibet, mate. I is... get nothing but grief oh. for my pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've tried, I've tried it so many times. I give up. I give yeah. up trying to pronounce half <laughs> the tracks. Um, it, it's not really, a, it's not a long track, and you know, Larry O's debatable whether you could class it as a long track. You know, is it 
I think it's like 850 metres. So, you know, you could class it as a long track if you wanted, but, you know, it's not the same as sort of going to like Farkirkin and Muldorf and, you know, some of the true thousand metre tracks, which you would call work like a long track, but uh, sadly there's not many of them still about. So it's, you know, adapting it and twisting it to sort of meet modern times. But, yeah, it's, I enjoy riding in it, so it's, it's hard to sort of comment on it. Yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah, I think that what you said at the top there was uh, it's very well run, and I think you can't argue that it's very well organised. Um, some really good backers, but uh, it's just... I think it's just moved away a little bit from what we love as grass track fans, and I think that we struggle to deal with that a little bit, maybe. Yeah, it is, it is hard with six rides, five rides now. You know, it is hard with five rides on the track. It's racing is not, not the best, so... You know, it'd be nice to see them almost do two series, have like a, a long track series and a, a track racing series almost, you know, have the two different disciplines as two separate championships, which would, you know, possibly an idea whether they look into it in the next couple of years. I don't know. Now Glenn's come on board. He's, you know, looking at, looking as a more a rider point of view, what would he like to do and trying to make it, you know, modernise it a little bit more, which is, can only be a good thing, really. Yeah, hopefully that something comes about because, uh, yeah, like we say, it's a great tournament, but I reckon a few tweaks, it'd be even better. Just to finish off, really, you've achieved an awful lot in the sport. I don't think people realise you're still only 22. I know you're 23 very shortly, I think. Is that right? Yeah, I'm 23 in March. So yeah, so still really young, but you're getting old. <laughs> be on the upright soon. Build a jap. Yeah. Hey. I have thought about it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, what do you hope to achieve? Like, if, if you, you've got your whole career really still in front of you, what is it that your aims are for for the whole of your career that's left? I would love to beat Simon Wig to be the you know most successful rider. That is has to be my goal. I think it's five or six Masters titles he won, so I'd love to you know, go, you know, go at least one better than him and try and become the most successful rider in the European Championships and to try and win a world title of my own. You know, it was a great honour to win it with Team GB. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was a great experience, but I'd love to sort of win an individual world title to, you know, for myself. And, yeah, well, I mean, know, it's an individual like It's an individual sport. It's at its heart, yeah. really. It's not a team sport, grass track and long track. So that's understandable that you want to win some some titles but yeah Simon Wig is uh, five times British Masters champion and you've only got to win one more to equal him um, yeah so that's it'd be great well in... to go one more that's, that's the play. I, one more would be amazing if I could go even more again that would be absolutely amazing it was a great achievement to beat Joe Screen to the youngest the youngest one to win it was a you know sort of feather in the cap and yeah. the day after I won it I had a message from him saying you know congratulations and, and things like that so hopefully I can follow follow in the footsteps of you know arguably the greatest rider and an idol of mine and many many riders so hopefully I can you know, go in his footsteps yeah hopefully so I mean we'll be looking out for you and uh, all the, we're really hoping that you can pull something off at Midshires for that European uh, all the best for the uh, world long track as well James we'll be keeping an eye on your results and making sure that you're uh, coping with some of those unfamiliar conditions as well as you can <laughs> Um, but yes. <laughs> best of luck for the 2020 season and thanks for joining us on the Grass Track Banter podcast anytime I've, you know, I'm happy to do it it's been a great podcast it's got me through it's got me through a night shift a couple of night shifts at work listening to the podcast so you know, <laughs> I'll listen to a few more <laughs> well thank you very much James now it's time for our nostalgia segment it was better in our day 
We're still hoping to have Dickie Staff on the podcast very soon, but he's extremely busy at present. Last week we announced that Dickie would be on the podcast, but the Ace of Aces question post last week has been put on the back burner for the time being. However, we have had a few responses from you out there for people that Luke can put in his Ace of Aces ultimate final, so keep them coming in. This week, though, we will honour our guest James Shanes with our delve into the Grass Track archives. As many of you out there will remember, James burst onto the adult grass track scene at the age of 15, instantly making a huge impression. And within two years, he'd won the Masters and the European title soon followed. Every time we have these explosive teens bursting onto the adult scene, it's really exciting for grass track fans. So this week's question for the lads is who is the greatest just out of youth teen to light up the grass track world? And we'll start with Ben. I'm going to go for Lewis Denham, Gareth. Came out of the... Yeah, the youth scene and immediately made a made an impact on the on the three fifty class as it was then. Um and I think he's he's British champion with a year of going into the adults, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um he he instantly made an impact in the three fifties, but then as soon as he moved up to five hundred he was he was brilliant. And do you remember that race at Collier Street? The I think it was one of the Super Cups maybe. Oh, I do. Yeah, he he went round well, he had a he had a British championship win, didn't he, at Collier yeah. Street? And then um yeah, he, he went round the outside of everyone, didn't he? In the yeah, Super Cup. Yeah, he was on a fifteen metre handicap or a thirty metre handicap or something. Yeah, like yeah, he was. Obviously a, a track that was to his liking, Absolutely. wasn't it? Yeah, really good choice, Lewis Denham. I think he's going to be the one that comes to lots of people's minds. Brilliant rider. Obviously went on to win the Masters, but then sort of faded away from the sport. Yeah, um, I think Lewis settled down with work and started a family and had a house and I think decided that he'd achieved enough, you know, and he had that accident at Rose Menace, didn't he, with, with Paul Cooper. Yeah. And I think that was the end, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that... Uh, Probably that was probably about the end for him. He was a brilliant rider, though, Lewis. So, yeah, really good choice, Ben. Uh, Russell? Uh, well, uh, both my choices have been stolen already. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was going to say Lewis myself, to be honest. I remember at the uh, 2003 British Championships, actually, up at uh, up at Muttrall. He wasn't far away from winning it that year. He was, I can't remember if it was the semi-final or the third leg, uh, but he was right towards the top of the points. And uh, I think he had a crash which obviously put him, basically put him out of the running. Um, but he wasn't actually that far away from winning it in 2003, the 350 title. So, yeah, 2004 at College Street was a bit of a fitting end, really. It sort of won the title that he possibly should have won in 2003, really, as a 15-year-old. And, yeah, obviously, James Shane's in recent times. You can't really argue, can you, James? Like you say, he come out of youth, almost won the youth 250 world title. That one just got away from him. And then, yeah, like you say, within two years, British Masters champion. Yeah, I mean, I remember went to Ludinghausen with Rodney one year and and the guy who sort of helps get the riders together Matt say said to us at the uh, beer tent the night before he said Germany really needs a good up-and-coming British rider again almost like another Joe Screen and uh, and yeah we both sort of like looked at each other and said well yeah it's, that'll be James Shane's then that you'll be needing and uh, yeah he's, he's gone from strength to strength and hopefully bounces back from his crash at the end of last year back into a, a good season this yeah, year absolutely I think that uh, so many people know how exciting James is to watch he's a really exciting rider even when he's out in front on his own he's still exciting to watch because he looks like he's going to drop the thing any minute but he's ne- he's so poised on the bike and uh, yeah it was great to catch up with James obviously we wish him all the best for 2020 so we've got Lewis Denham uh, and James Shanes so Luke who's your pick for the just out of youth team to light up grass track it's a tricky one funny enough I was actually thinking Lewis Denham but I'll go with uh, Henry Atkins I mean my knowledge on ages of riders isn't isn't particularly great or you know not necessarily what they've won but i think henry atkins for what he's achieved 
um, in the 250s the last couple of seasons has been fantastic and I think he's going to be one to watch uh, for the future as well I think that 250 class is as we've already said going to be brilliant going forward but yeah I think um, the ones we've chosen are all have all been uh, brilliant and uh, for their age as well and how fast they are um, stepping up when they go into the adult scene yeah I think it, uh, Henry's still got an awful lot more to offer I think and really only just sort of played with the 500 solos I think when he gets into that 500 class and really has a proper go at it he's got immaculate kit He's got plenty of people around him that are doing the right things for him. So, yeah, Henry Atkins, he could be one for the future as well, definitely. Okay, so my choice for just out of youth team, I've got a, I had a load of names written down and I couldn't decide. So I am going to mention a few honourable mentions. Now, I know that there's going to be people that have been around the sport for an awful lot longer than we have, screaming at the radio at people that they remember. I expect they can remember, I don't know. Uh... Who could it be? Luke Offin coming through the youth ranks or who knows? Bless old Luke. But uh, the ones that I remember, Matt Reed, I remember coming through the youth. I remember Matt Reed, his first 250 British Championship at Wimborne. And he was only about 15 at that point, I think. And he was straight away very quick. And I'd like to think that obviously Matt had a horrendous accident at Morizette's in France. But I do like to think if he hadn't had that, he'd be a world long track champion by now. And obviously Glenn Phillips, I remember as well, coming through into the 350s and... Uh, instantly having an impression on the whole sport and Joe Screen as well a little bit further back he entered the sport and lots of people still talk about just how brilliant Joe Screen was when he was a 16 year old on a 500 solo and for many years he was the youngest British Masters champion until James Shane's knocked that record for Joe Screen but none of those are my pick my pick it goes to someone who I don't actually think ever reached their full potential in grass track and that is Lee Complin uh, now Lee raced a lot of his racing up north he was from Yorkshire and he did do a little bit of speedway after he retired from grass. But Lee Complin absolutely lit up the grass track world when he first came into the sport. And my most memorable race from Lee Complin happened at the Bonfire Burnup. I don't know if any of you guys remember that, but it was fairly sticky, fairly wet. Uh, but Lee rode absolutely unbelievably all day. And I think he was third or fourth that day. And he was only 16, 17. Really quality rider, Lee Complin. He raced at Bridgewater for the Intercentre and he rode on a 250 and a 350. Um, he could ride a two-stroke, he could ride a, uh, a JRM-style bike, anything really that you put him on. Uh, Lee Complin's my choice for the Just Out of Youth team who lit up Grass Track. Yeah, great shout. Sad miss, really. He, he could have been on to a yeah, Masters champion, European champion, world long track. Retired, made a short comeback, didn't he, on the speedway and, yeah, retired yeah, again. Never saw him on the grass yeah. again. Absolutely. No. Do you remember the um, remember the big crash he had at Coddier Street in a Super Cup? Um meeting he uh yeah got lost in the dust and had a yeah clout with the balls big uh, time yeah i don't know if that was a thing that put him off i hope not but uh i don't really remember that but i do remember him being absolute quality like he was a really good rider lee big shame he never rode as much uh, much more than we saw him actually ride but we get lee complin lewis denham both really lit up the sport james shane's obviously we've talked about as well lit up the sport and i think henry atkins is just about to light up the sport if i'm honest but the most exciting thing, of course, is that we've got a whole plethora of riders coming up at the moment who could do exactly the same in the next five or ten years. I mean, we've got Cameron Taylor, Mickey Simpson goes up to the adults next year. Uh, we've got a little bit further down, we've got that junior class, of course. Austin Riches goes up to the Inters. We've got Thomas Vinning we've talked about already on this show. Max Perry, of course, already a world champion. George Colvin's going quicker and quicker, and he's only eight. It could really, really be incredible in the next few years. I think, uh, yeah, the, obviously the, that junior class at the moment is uh, absolutely thriving. And uh, five or six years' time, uh, obviously they're going to be troubling me and Ben. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Max Perry and Thomas Binning, obviously George Colvin, they're certainly going to be ones in five or six years' time. When they move up to the adults or thereabouts, that are uh, they're going to be straight at the front still, yeah, aren't they? And exciting again. It's always uh, exciting when they come into the adults. It is. I think I just wanted to mention um, another one that we haven't talked about yet. He had a bit of a quiet year last year. Was but Zach Beatty. Uh, yeah. I think he's worthy of a mention. I think there was some delay with getting his machinery up together. And then when it did get up together, he, he started getting to grips with it. He um he broke his wrist on, a I think, a micro-scooter, of all things. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't have the best of luck last year. But, um, yeah, hopefully we'll see Zach a lot more this yeah. year. Because, again, he, he can be really good on yeah, his day. definitely. There's a load of them like that that can just... Uh, yep, can really ride well. Obviously, Zach from a really good grass track family too, and hopefully it will stick to the grass for a long, long time. I know that uh, his, his kit's all really immaculate now that it's all built up and ready to go. So, yeah, should be a really good season for Zach Beatty and a whole load of others. But, yeah, really exciting to see what's going to come from the future of grass track. If you've got a different choice on who should we should have chosen for the Just Out of Youth team to light up the grass track world, obviously uh, I'm the oldest of the four of us at 35, so I'm sure that lots of you know people from before we were born even, that came out of the youth scene to light up Grass Track. Let us know, Grass Track Banter Podcast at Outlook.com or let us know on uh, Grass Track Banter on Facebook or at Grass Track B on Twitter. Well, that's just about it for episode four of the Grass Track Banter Podcast, gents. Once again, many thanks for everyone for your continued support with the podcast. We're so chuffed with how how well it's going and we still want to get it better and better and improve it. Many thanks to Paul Morphy once again for our brand new merchandise, which we will be sporting this season, I'm sure. We're well over 2,000 listens now, as I've said, for this podcast, which is really successful, so I'm told, by podcast people. I've mentioned them before, but huge thanks to Sophie of the EdTech podcast and John of the Saints FC podcast for getting us up and running. We really do owe them for getting us up to speed with the tech side of things. Uh, If you would like to get in touch about supporting the show in the future, don't hesitate to get hold of one of us, either on our Facebook or on Twitter at GrassTrackB, or on our email address, GrassTrackBanterPodcastOutlook.com, and you can become part of the show's success going forward. For now, though, gents, I think we're about done, aren't we? Benji, uh, two weeks until our next pod. You got any plans in the next two weeks? Uh, no, just uh, just the usual, mate, working hard in my day job and in the spare time, just starting to get things ready for the bikes, really. Yeah, and which bikes are you preparing for 2020? Is it just the 250? Um, I've got a brand new GT140 that I am <laughs> in the process of building. Um, I've got it ready to go and seeing what the fuss is all about, yeah. really. No, I'm good, just the 250. <laughs> and uh, Russ, more pre-season training? Yeah, just the uh, same as Ben, obviously working hard. Yeah, a bit more running, a bit more weight loss, hopefully. Finish stripping the bike down and uh, getting ready for uh, getting ready for April. Yeah, definitely, and it'll be soon here. And uh, Luke, obviously, a bit more pit biking coming up or sidecar speedway? Uh, yeah, I've got a bit of both. Pit biking uh, this weekend again at Iwade. Another practice on the back of uh, Simon at Iwade the following week, and then pit biking again the following week after that down at uh, Arlington. So, yeah, I've got a busy few weeks. I haven't really had an off season, if I'm honest, but uh, no, it keeps me busy, and uh, yeah, I just love being on yeah, the bike. I'm sure Sophie's loving that. <laughs> Many thanks to you all for your time. Episode 5 will be here in a fortnight where we'll bring more news and obviously info on Ledbury's highly 
anticipated Halloween spectacular. Hopefully we haven't talked over talked that up too much. Uh, more 2020 fixture news, more banter awards excitement as well. The next one I think will be very close to the banter awards, so we'll all be really excited by then. And hopefully we shall be hearing from Mr. Dickie Staff too in the next episode, um, as long as he can uh, free up a little bit of time to speak to us for a little bit. For now though, it's goodbye and we shall see you somewhere in the middle of a farmer's field very soon.